Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com All right, so there's a growing economy for discussions about white privilege in this country that are employing black and brown intellectuals, uh, whites who profess anti-racism to be the missionaries to save white people's souls. White privilege or the idea that white individuals are born with unearned benefits and advantage over others has been making its way all through the public media and the classroom. Now, on the face of it, this seems like a really radical conversation. Black, brown, and white people calling out white liberals and conservatives for their racism, having real conversations. We posted on MSNBC, CNN, or even the Huffington Post. But these conversations about white privilege are not really conversations about race, and they're certainly not about racism. It's a business, and it's a business where blacks market themselves as being racial therapists for white people. Now, see, the first conversations about white privilege were like W.E.B. Du Bois' Black Reconstruction or George Lipsis' The Possessive Investment of Whiteness or even Cheryl Harris's piece, uh, Whiteness is Property. And they came from a black radical intellectual tradition. And what I mean by that, Rob, is that it was race crits, black nationalists, pan-Africanists that didn't simply believe that whites would donate their power and act against their global racial interests to be good people in the eyes of blacks. These are the same people that they owned and they still imprisoned, people with no political power whatsoever. So the boys and lipses understood that there is an antipathy that a power in being against black people. You get free labor. Now, the people in the academy, you know, I'm always put back to what George Jackson said regarding the illusion of many black academics. They, they have this romanticization of their power to solve racism. Jackson said that the white race, the economic elites of America, are not going to let themselves be educated out of existence. But today... You sound radical, progressive, and insightful by marking yourself as a therapist for whites. And you don't have to know anything about the actual conditions, structures, and ills that concretely affect the lives of black people. You can even talk about white privilege and not even know the names of the black thinkers, the literature, the context, or the history that the term comes from. And get acclaimed by only citing white celebrities like Peggy McIntosh or Tim Watt. See, it's not genius to say that in an oppressive society, there are benefits to being in the superior class instead of the inferior one. That's true in any hierarchy. It's not an aha moment. Being on the top is generally bigger, better than being on the bottom. 
But when you talk about white privilege, that person gets to pretend that America is not really oppressive. They love America. They just want whites to surrender their privilege so we can all be equal. See, the revolutionary doesn't have white friends. The government killed MLK. Assad is called a terrorist. Derek Bell is erased from the field of critical race theory that he helped started because he spoke out about the actual racial, economic tyranny of corporations, governments, the military, and the white public. So to these people, they're criminalized and they're punished. But for the but for the for a profit revolutionary who wants to be commodified by white, right? They want to be the black friend that cured the white race. Why that white racist who's suddenly cured, they get to say, oh, well, this is my friend. That's they point to that very relationship with the black person as proof that they're now healed. They get to show off to other whites that they're now the white ally. The conversations about white privilege are simply moral appeals to the consciousness of whites who have already shown themselves to be committed to racism and social inequity. And we hope that we have this idle hope that suddenly those racist whites are just going to suddenly change their minds because we made a moral argument. See, the implication about talking about white privilege suffers from a childlike naivete. It suggests that simply exposing racism and the privilege of whiteness to the white mind motivates whites to no longer act in their own self-interest. It's like the liberal utopia that was born out of integration. There's this unjustifiable assumption that telling whites about their social position means that they're automatically going to surrender their power to appease a pop culture account of oppression. Think about the dishonesty of this approach. Black people, oppressed people, know that there is a fundamental difference between being oppressed and black and not oppressed, treated like a citizen and white. And then we call for national conversations on race, where these public intellectuals get credit for starting conversations that amount to a little more than allowing white Americans the opportunity to dismiss and deny any actual realities that black America suffers from. And regardless of the outcome of these conversations, these black intellectuals that champion or expose white privilege come out looking like profits. See, the issue is racism. The issue is white supremacy. The issue is anti-black death. Try discussing that and see how your oppressor recognizes you then. Now, I remember at a recent APA, I sat down to a, a feminist of color. I was trying to get her white male student who couldn't get a job in the white figures he studied and wrote a book on a job in race theory and black philosophy. And this professor felt comfortable telling this white male that if you start talking about white privilege, where she claimed the field of Africana philosophy was going, he could easily land a race job. Now, think about this. So all the black, brown, and indigenous scholars who study the raw histories of oppression and resistance lose out because they don't want to give white liberals and conservatives a guilt trip. And I think this is a powerful example of how an academic discussion of white privilege distracts the racially oppressed. And it empowers the white oppressor class to be employed in discussing systems they have no real interest in dismantling. It's a dishonest conversation looking to get jobs and a profit off of being recognized by your oppressor. It's not real. Domination's real. Oppression all based on race and white supremacy. That's real. Try having those conversations. Context of white supremacy. Justice Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Tuesday, May 19th, 2015. So I have been told. Uh, We'll give updates uh, on the rest of the programs that should be coming down for later in the week. Uh, We also have some uh, other tidbits we want to get in as well, but we want to get started to try to cover as much material as possible with our guest. Uh, The audio clip that you heard at the beginning of the program, uh, that was Dr. Tommy Curry. Uh, He's been on the program Uh, I think at least five times at this point. He was just with us a couple weeks ago as well. Uh, That was from one of his visits to uh, Rob Redding, a great radio radio broadcast as well that also talks about uh, racism, white supremacy. Uh, But some key points, we've talked about some of those issues that Dr. Curry raised 
in that sound clip, uh, our guest for the program today, I uh, believe one of our listeners uh, saw him speak at the Endowment for Health in Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, it was just a few weeks back uh, this past spring, uh, and he did a talk on uh, power, privilege, difference, racism, <laughs> white supremacy. And uh, our listener thought it would be grand to kind of get him on the program and, and get him to uh, discuss some of his views with the problem of racism, white supremacy. Uh, he has written several books. Uh, you can go to his website, should be linked. Uh, I'll put it on the Facebook page as well uh, to check out uh, some of his blog posts as well as some of the different books he has authored, uh, which include Not From Here, which is a memoir, uh, The First Thing and the Last, Privilege, Power, and Difference, uh, and uh, The Gender Knot uh, as well. Uh, he has fiction, nonfiction, quite an array. He uh, talks about racism uh, as well as sexism, patriarchy, uh, other issues of uh, social justice. Uh, his blog, he deals with a lot of those uh, very same issues. Uh, some of his most recent posts, uh, The Myth of Peaceful Protest and Proud to be White, that is with a question. Uh, he began his career as a public speaker and trainer around issues of race and gender. Initially, he worked for diversity consulting firms as part of a team of trainers in corporate settings, including IBM, Bank Boston and Bank Boston. Uh, he also has been uh, an educator at Wesleyan University, uh, as well as Hartford College for Women. A uh, real pleasure to have him on the program. Looking forward to hearing some of his views. Our guest, Dr. Alan Johnson. Uh, Dr. Johnson, are you with us, sir? I am. Hello. Outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your uh, Tuesday evening with us. Uh, for our listeners, this might be their first time hearing about you and the work that you do. Anything you think would be helpful for listeners to know about you before we get started? Um, well, I, I started off doing this kind of work uh, back in the 1970s uh, around the issue of men's violence against women. And... Um, found myself um, becoming aware of the extent of it and the brutality of it and felt that I was um, looking at a kind of insanity, that I was living in a society in which there could be an epidemic of violence um, by men directed at women. It made no sense to me. And as a sociologist and, and as a human being, I felt that I had to understand this. And so I set out to educate myself and, of course, immediately encountered uh, the reality of patriarchy and male privilege and went from there. Um, it was part of my developing my understanding of how social life works in general. Um, and then it was a natural progression from that for me to start also looking at the issues of white privilege and racism. So I've been uh, paying attention to this pretty seriously for, you know, about 40 years now. Um, and I suppose that's the most important thing to know about me. Uh, for our listeners who have not seen you, you are a white man. Is that correct? I am. Uh -huh. uh, is it acceptable for me to ask uh, your age? Sure. <laughs> I'm in my 70th year. <laughs> okay. Right on. Right on. Uh, this program 
the cows context of white supremacy. Uh, I have unfortunately concluded that we are in a global system of white supremacy racism. Uh, I use those two terms as synonyms. I use the same definition for both terms. Uh, the definition I use for both terms is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Well, you're starting off with a really big question. Um, I think the first thing I would say is that I think there is definitely a, as I understand the idea of a, of a system, there is definitely a system uh, of global domination at work, and it doesn't hide its agenda. It's very powerful. It's very well organized, and it's been around for a long time, and that's the system of uh, global industrial capitalism. Um, and from the beginning of capitalism, it has made use of racism and the idea of white superiority in order to um, uh, accomplish its agenda, which is global domination. I mean, corporations are, you know, and, and the countries that they control, including our own, are certainly dedicated to dominating the world. And they make use of racism and have made use of racism as a, as a way of doing that uh, for, oh, 200 years anyway. Okay. Um, Dr. Johnson, I just I want to hop in because you are not going to be with us for the full program. You're only going to be with us uh, yeah. until about 930 Eastern, an uh, hour and a half for folks who normally listen in. Uh, so I want to really try to make sure we can cover as much as we can in the time that we have you this evening. It would be super helpful uh, if you could try to, as best you can, directly answer the question. And I don't mean that you, I certainly want to hear you explain uh, your answer and, and provide uh -huh. some background, but just really making sure we're answering the question. And since you laughed right there, I'll also add, it's been my observation. Many times white people practice racism by not giving direct answers when we're having conversations on racism. Uh, and you just gave an affirmative. So I suspect you could have been doing that right there. It would be very helpful if we could just get right to the crux, the definition a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. If you don't agree, that's fine. But do you think the definition yeah, is accurate? I would, I, would have to, I would have to say no. I okay. don't see that. I what's what's inaccurate about the definition? Well, first of all, a system is not people. Uh, people and systems are separate. A system is something that people participate in. People themselves are not systems. A system is not a collection of people. So you can have a system that is organized around white privilege, the idea of white superiority, which we certainly have. Um, it has had global reach for hundreds of years. I don't know that it's operating in China right now, uh, which is poised to become perhaps the most powerful country in the world someday. 
there certainly is a global system that is organized around the idea of white superiority and white domination. I think that's definitely true. Um, you then have 7 billion people who are participating in all these different kinds of social systems, nation states, global trade, all of that. And they participate in that system in lots of different ways, um, including actively opposing it, as well as um, actively supporting it. I mean, it's all over the map. So I think it's, I would disagree with equating systems with people and that if you have a system of white privilege, which we definitely have, certainly in this country and in much of the world, that does not translate into every individual white person um, is trying to advance that agenda. I think I would disagree with that. Okay. I think white people are quite varied in how they actually participate from um, one day to the next in that system. So I think that's the I think that's where I get stuck in what you're saying is okay. um, equating systems with people. Okay, I would tell uh, <clears throat> many many things that. Dr. Johnson just shared uh, deserve uh, very close scrutiny. Uh, but the thing that I will uh, just kind of boil everything down to, you said that uh, systems are not people. Uh, yeah. Can you have a system, particularly since we're talking about a global system of injustice and terrorism, can you have such a system without people? No. Okay. Systems Systems only happen through the participation of people, and okay. for that matter, people only we only happen as people through our participation in systems. I mean, it's it's both and. Okay, I will just say uh, I take the position that what you have presented uh, it is not logical with regards to systems. Uh, it is it does not make sense to me, and it really doesn't get, in my view, accurately at what we're talking about when we say a system of racism, white supremacy, and it's. A dominant theme in your presentation when you talk about racism, which I hope we'll get a chance to do uh, during the course of the program, uh, is absolving whites of responsibility. Uh, that seems to happen consistently. And I think the paradigm that you present where it's uh, the system is not white people. White people just are in the system and they participate in a variety of ways. It is I'll even use your metaphor. It is taking white people off the hook. It is absolving them of being directly responsible, directly indictable for what they are doing to carry out and practice racism. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying white privilege and I also am not saying benefit and all that stuff. I'm saying the practice of racism, the practice of mistreating non-white people. But we'll be able to tease out all that as we roll. I want to read a quote to you because I think this will kind of help listeners get an idea of your, your can, view can I, on racism. Can I respond to what you just said? Um, I would prefer to get to this because we're everything that I just said is going to be okay. kind of the crux for the interview, so you'll have more than an opportunity to respond. It'll come up that's, repeatedly. That's fine. Right that's on. fine. I want to get your response. Uh, this is I've been super eager to ask white guests this for the past few months. There's a quote that was published uh, in The Atlantic. Uh, they were talking about racism, and the, and the author was a non-white person. Uh, the quote reads, white people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism, but rarely are they pained enough. And I particularly want to interrogate the first part of that question. White people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism. Do you think that's an accurate statement based on your experience as a white person, the contact you've had with white people throughout your life, that white people, a sizable number of white people are often sincerely and greatly pained 
by racism? I would say I don't think that's true. Okay. Why not? Um, because I think the default for white people is to be oblivious, is to not even be aware of it. Um, I think that the, the default for white people in a system of white privilege is to see it as something in the past, as something that other people do that has nothing to do with them personally. Um, and so the default is to not pay any attention to it at all. So I think that <clears throat> if white people have moments where they, and again, I don't, you know, there are a, a lot of white people in the United States, and I don't know them, so I can't, I can't speak for them. But my impression as a white person, and, and as a white person who's spent a lot of time uh, working with other white people about issues of race, um, it's not my impression that white people go around um, agonizing over um, what's uh, not, not only the history of race in this country, but what's happening right now. Um, it's simply not my impression. I think most of the time, uh, white people, when they feel bad, it's because um, they, have, they have been forced to confront something that's happened in a way that they can't look away. Um, but the default is to look away as quickly as possible. Mm. That's Fasc my impression. Fascinating. I, I would have to say I, I agree with you. Well, I don't agree with it totally uh, about the oblivious part, but we'll get to that too. But uh, it's not my impression that white people uh, feel bad about black people being subject to white terrorism, uh, any non-white people being subject to racism. That's not my impression. And just for our listeners who are keeping count, uh, the majority of our white guests now have said that they think that statement is false. Uh, and I said immediately that I thought it was false. Uh, and to have this sort of statement in a major publication like The Atlantic, uh, that that right there deserves interrogation. At any rate, I agree. Um, I think this is also an important uh, question. I try to ask this question often to uh, our white listeners. Uh, I have concluded just the ubiquitous nature of racism, white supremacy. And again, we don't agree. I've concluded that the system of white supremacy is white people. Can you share a time where you were in the presence of a white person and they assumed that you were racist or that you wouldn't have a problem with racism and they said and or did something racist? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I've had that experience. Can you share, give us the details of, of a pretty good one? Um, <clears throat> well, I don't want to use the language that you used. Oh, we're not offended. That, that I well, I, I don't like, to, I, I am. Um, oh, I, this was years ago. I, you know, this was probably 30 years ago. I was a young man, and I, I went to a gas station, and um, I wanted to use the air pump, and it wasn't working. And there was a young white man uh, working in the station. I came in and, you know, said the air pump's not working. And he said, well, it's all those. And then it's the word I'm not going to use. Um, they come around and they break it. <clears throat> and I was young and I was stupid and I was not brave. And I didn't say to him, what are you saying? Don't use that language to me. I was shocked. I, all, the, all, the, you know, all the usual excuses for being silent. And I didn't say anything to him. And you can tell 30 years later, I still vividly remember that. It was a failure of courage on my part. Mm. I think it was also one of those moments that I think white people experience all the time, that they witness that kind of behavior, and instead of basically stepping out of the safety of our white privilege, 
we remain silent, which makes us complicit in what's just happened. My silence to him was basically, he had every reason to interpret my silence as meaning that I agreed with him. And that's the way it happens all the time, I think. Hmm. Are there any more recent, because you said that was from decades ago, are there any examples more recent where you were in the presence of a white person or white people and they assumed you were racist and did or said something racist? No. Hmm. That's, that is fascinating. Wow. I mean, I spend most of my, I spend most of my time, uh, when I'm out in the world, I spend most of my time uh, being invited places to speak about race. And so I don't run into many people who um, would make those assumptions about me such that I would know it. Mm-hmm. Don't, I, don't, I don't wind up in situations these days where that would happen. Go ahead. Um, I, will, I will also, I definitely want to get in. Uh, you have been using the term white privilege, which I expected you to do. Do you think the term white privilege is a more accurate means of describing the system that is dominating the planet right now, where non-white people and particularly black people are being mistreated, terrorized. Do you think the system, I mean, do you think the term white privilege is the most accurate way to describe that? Well, I think, I think, uh, I, I wouldn't want to, I, I assume you're asking me to choose between white privilege and white supremacy. Um, and I wouldn't choose one or the other. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even say the word white supremacy. I think I just said, do you think the term well, white I think privilege it is, is accurate. most accurate? Is most accurate? Is I, that the most accurate way to describe what's happening? That was the question. Well, most in comparison with what, though? I mean... Any, it's a variety of other terms that I have heard, not just white supremacy. There are a variety of other terms that people use to oh. describe this problem. Or people could even come up with new terms. So do you think right. that is the most accurate term to describe what's happening. Well, it's the one I use most often in my work, yeah. So do you think it's the most accurate term to describe what it is that you're talking about? I guess I would say yes, yeah. Why is that? Because when I try to understand the world, um, that's, that concept seems to explain um, more of it than any other concept I know of. Mm-hmm. Privilege, wow. And so... Let me see. You can tell me if I'm misunderstanding uh, from your talks, books, blogs, etc. Uh, when you talk about, quote unquote, white privilege, what you're positing is that we do have a system of injustice. Black people, non-white people on the whole uh, are not treated the same way that white people are. That's unfortunate. We should be trying to correct that. The white people that are on the planet right now didn't start the system. Uh, it was in place when they were born and despite, you know, their best intentions, maybe they never say nigger. Maybe they have black friends or do whatever they do. They might not be consciously, deliberately telling racist jokes, uh, trying to harm non-white people. But just by venture of the system being here, them being classified, accepted as white, they're going to get greater likelihood of getting goodies, good things, jobs, employment opportunities, financial uh, resources, high quality of life. They have a better opportunity of getting these things and avoiding bad things, being prosecuted for going to jail, uh, divorce, health disparities, all of the the ugliness, Uh, less opportunity of getting those things. Is that paraphrasing kind of a general synopsis of, of what you're positing when you say a system of white privilege? 
That sounds pretty good, yeah. Okay. Uh, the problem that I run into, and, and for me it's pretty severe because I've heard a lot of white people like you talk about racism and they'll use the jargon uh, of white privilege. And I suspect that people like you, Dr. Alan Johnson, I suspect that you all could be deliberately practicing racism when you go out to give these presentations because they're false. And I think you know that they're false. I think just like that Atlantic report, even though that was a non-white author, you all know when you're giving out inaccurate information about racism, white supremacy, and the notion that white people are oblivious. That's why I said some of the things that we talked about already, these are going to be key points that just keep coming up because they're wrought their pattern uh, throughout your work in the way that you talk about racism. Uh, to say that white people, for the most part, are unaware. They go through their life. They're not thinking about race. Uh, they are not going out to call black people niggers and, and harm folks and do that sort of thing. They don't even know that this stuff is, is going on. In my view, and just with research, it's patently false. Our listener, she wanted me to respond uh, by going with Joe Fagan, Two-Faced Racism. Are you aware of his scholarship? Sure. Okay. I thought you would be. I can go that route. Great book. Lots of great information. He's been a guest on the program. But there has been, uh, he talks in the book about you have a backstage and a front stage, basically, for listeners. It's white people say one thing when they're out in public in the presence of non-white people. They have totally different things to say when they are in exclusive white company. And that's where a lot of the racism comes out in a variety of forms. That's the gist of the book. The backstage has been all over the place. It's just been a binge of backstage this is what white people talk about when there are no non-white people around. If white people are so unconscious, right, they don't think about racism. They're not, they're not even aware. They're oblivious, as you said. How do you explain all of the incidents that have been coming out, I would say, over the last six months with all of these racist emails, racist text messages in Pennsylvania? You had school fa white school faculty members who were exchanging text messages. This was 2013. And they were saying all of the black children at this school, they should have nigger as their last name. And so all this was written out. It should be Susan nigger, Tom nigger, Jake nigger. We have the San Francisco Police Department. This has been in the news almost daily uh, where it was reported. I'm reading from uh, a piece uh, from uh, the San Francisco Opinion when they write. As deputy public defender in San Francisco, I am shocked at the revelation there is a white power network within the police department. All niggers must. I'm going to read what they said so you can cover yours, but this should not be uh, censored in my view. It reads, all niggers must fucking hang. One veteran San Francisco Police Department officer texted former Sergeant Ian Furminger, who has been convicted and sentenced to prison for violating civil rights and stealing drug money. White power. The cops repeatedly texted each other. They didn't say white privilege. White power. The Ferguson report. I could go on and on and on. Richard Siebel, who is a U.S. district judge, excuse me, former U.S. district judge. He sent hundreds of racist emails, racist jokes about President Obama. How do you make sense of all this? I could go on and on and on. Sony. What's happening down in Florida? We just read some of the emails from these enforcement officers. Does this sound like unconscious behavior? Does this sound like white people who just they're not aware of racism? 
Well, the first thing I would say is that there are lots of different kinds of white people in this country. The second thing I would say is that there is a difference between... We began this part of the conversation with your quoting from The Atlantic about do white people feel genuinely terrible about this, and my answer was no, I don't think they do. And my reason for that is that I think that they generally they don't think about it. It's one thing to not think about it from one moment to the next. It's another thing to not know. Do I think most white people know that racism is real? Yes, I do. And the reason I believe that is that it takes almost nothing to get white people to get really defensive about the possibility that they might be racist people which says to me that the white people that white people's awareness and I think this is very common that white people's knowledge that racism is real is quite widespread but it is buried and there are all kinds of encouragements that white people have to not think about it to push it away everything that you just said I will go back to what I the news reports that I just cited over the last 6 months None of these behaviors to me suggest that white people are not thinking about it. None of it suggests to me that this this behavior is buried. It to me suggests that white people think and talk about this all the time and not just poor white people, because these were, as I said, high ranking school faculty members. One of the people in the Pennsylvania situation was a superintendent. He wasn't the janitor at the school. Uh, U.S. District Judge, former district judge Richard Siebel. It doesn't sound like these people, white people, are not thinking about racism. It sounds like they're thinking about it quite a bit. It doesn't sound it buried sounds at like all. It sounds, like, it sounds like they're thinking about it all the time. Exactly. And that's why I said I what you're but saying. I, all, I'm, all, I'm saying you is, all I'm saying to you is I, I don't know 99.9% .9 of the white people in the United States, so I don't know what they think about. My impression is... That, that the people we're hearing about who are writing these offensive emails and all this stuff, those are the people we're hearing about. Does that mean that that generalizes to the entire white population? I would have to and say yes because I, I see don't a preponderance that. of evidence. I, I suspect that you're practicing racism and uh, saying that you don't know that because I would go even with that Ferguson report. Marianne Twitty, that was the white woman who uh, came out. She spoke publicly. She was sending these, uh, exchanging these racist emails President Obama's a monkey. We don't want you having uh, too many children and all this. She did an interview and she said, it wasn't just me. This wasn't isolated to just individual Mary Ann Twitty. Everybody who worked there was engaged in these emails. And the situation in Florida, this is not one individual cop. It's too widespread in the events when it comes out and it fits a larger pattern where you see these same types of events happening over and over again. And I can I can only pause for my listeners. I'm not saying this because I think Dr. Alan Johnson doesn't know this. I suspect he's practicing racism and doing this deliberately to give a false narrative about racism and really to get to the core of it, what it means to be white. Uh, and I would I would encourage listeners ask questions. If you've been listening to the exchange, as I said, you'll only be with us for an hour 30. So you got till 930. If you have questions, if you think it makes sense, that's great. You can call in and, and make that heard, make that known. If it does not make sense or you have questions, please call in. But I would encourage folks to really process that. You said, Dr. Johnson, that uh, many times white people, they are leery of getting into these sort of discussions about racism uh, because they don't want to say something incorrectly interpreted as racist or what have you. 
Uh, and one of the one of the quotes that you gave in your speech when you were talking uh, up in New Hampshire, you said, "White people must be to blame for personally engaging in oppressive and discriminating behavior against people of color in ways that damage their health." Uh, you said that if if that's true for many white people, they're just like, "Oh, that that means that I'm a bad person. I'm a racist. I feel ashamed. So I'm just I don't want to I don't want to have anything to do with it." I just want to stop on the statement. Is that statement true? That white people collectively are to blame personally for engaging in oppressive and discriminate discriminatory behavior against people of color in ways that damage their health. Is that a true statement? Hmm. Dr. Johnson? I'm here, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Take right on, right on. I think white people are responsible for what's happening in the United States. I think white people have an obligation to educate themselves and be aware of what's happening in the United States around race. Is every white person personally culpable for all of the consequences? That wasn't the question. That wasn't the question. See, that's why I think think you're doing this deliberately because that's the second or third time. And you have taught at major universities. It's not like, you know, you do, you get paid to talk about this subject matter. You write books about this. It could be that you're not understanding me. Maybe there's some disruption. in. I am not. No, I'm trying really hard to understand you. Or you could be practicing. I'm, when, when you when you say that I am deliberately trying to present a false I didn't say that. I said you could States, be. I think you did. I said I you could you be. I said you could be. At um, any rate, I'm not. Let me I'm let me not. try again with the question to see if you can correctly understand me, and I will restate. I do suspect that you could be deliberately giving us inaccurate information. You and several other white people, when it's time to talk about racism, I'm going to restate my question. But before I do. I just want to ask to make sure, so if we have any new listeners who are hearing the conversation just so they can be aware, do you think it's logical for a black person, a victim of racism, to be suspicious of any white person as long as the system of racism, white supremacy exists? Absolutely, yes. Okay, great. Glad we got a clean answer on that one. So keep that in mind if we have any new listeners to the program. That's it. So I'll ask the question again. Um, yours, and this is what you said. You said this in your talk in New Hampshire. You said white people must be to blame for personally engaging in oppressive and discriminating behavior against people of color in ways that damage their health. My question was, is that a true statement? I didn't make that statement. In your video, now I'm gonna have to say that you're not being honest because I quoted you, you gave an either or scenario. I'm giving the whole context and everything. This is from March. This is not you from 30 years ago. I understand that. You're saying that I said that all white people are personally to blame. Listen to me, listen to me. I read it, I said it exactly. You said, White people are, excuse me, white people must be to blame for personally engaging in oppressive and discriminatory behavior against people of color in ways that damage their health. Now, the context for this statement was it was an either or scenario. This was the second choice. And so for white people, if this statement is true, it's, oh, my gosh, 
I feel bad about myself because I'm white. I feel to blame. I feel, I feel somehow I am culpable or I'm being indicted if that statement is true. And so I disengage. I don't want to have anything to do with any sort of discussions about racism. And I said, you didn't in your talk, you didn't really say whether or not that statement was true. You just said it as though, OK, maybe some people think this and they respond a certain way. I just want to know if you think that statement is true. Are you are you asking? Do I think all white people are to blame? Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. <laughs> Collectively, I, I'm just reading what you said. I didn't say that. That's why I said it shouldn't be this much difficulty in the conversation. Well, I'm sorry. I don't use the word blame in my presentation in that way. That's why I'm having a real hard time with you quoting. Well, it you use the term blame. This is what you said. People can watch the video for themselves. I post it, and I can even. Uh, time stamp it for folks if they... I wish you would because I'd really like to see where um, I said that. At any rate, you even that with not, do you think the statement is true <laughs> that collectively white people are to blame? For yes. In, okay. Thank you. Moving collectively, forward. yes. Collectively, yes, Ooh. we are. Mm -hmm. That right there, I think, could be an act of racism moving forward. Has any non-white person, black person, uh, have they ever accused you of uh, practicing racism at any point? Has that happened to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. Okay. That's interesting as well. Do, do you think at any point you have ever practiced racism? You're a white man. Have you practiced racism at any point? Tell me what you mean by the word racism, please. Mistreating an individual or a group of individuals directly and or indirectly because they are not white. Not to my knowledge. No, it's also not how I define the word racism. So. Okay, I'm not surprised about that. Um, that is interesting. Uh, one of our guests on the program, Matthew Fry Jacobson, uh, he's written several books on uh, racism. Uh, when he was on the program, he said that the question to white people is not, are you a racist? The question is, how do you practice racism? Uh, his statement suggesting that if you are a white person, it is impossible to not be racist. Do you think that's accurate? I think it, in, in terms of my understanding of the word racism, yes, I think it's true. And you have a different definition for practicing racism. What would be your definition, the practice that um, do? The definition that I, that I use, which includes the definition that you use, is that racism is anything. Uh, it, can be a, it can be something we do. It can be something we don't do that has the consequence of perpetuating or enforcing white privilege. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you, you said, when I asked you, have you practiced racism by my definition, you said no. By your definition, have you practiced racism? Oh, certainly. Oh, man. Like, as you as you said, as you said, it's not avoidable. The white people can't avoid practicing racism. My that 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 incident that I, I shared with you about the gas station, my silence was racist because my silence had the effect of perpetuating white privilege. Well, I think your verbiage this evening is another example of you practicing racism. Uh, but I think it could be. A deliberate manner. Uh, I don't. Uh, my suspicion is that there is not anything. Uh, you know, this was just clumsy or bad reception, or I didn't understand. I just, you know, <laughs> wasn't at my best mentally. I don't think that's the case because I see too many of these patterns consistently uh, amongst white folks. Um, 
looking at some of my other questions before I get to the phone line. One of our previous guests, uh, Dr. Frances Cress-Welsing, are you familiar with her work? She's a third-generation physician, general child psychiatrist. No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, she's written about racism as well, uh, frequently. Uh, when she was on the program in February of this year, we were talking about forgiveness. Uh, I think we were even a little bit ahead of the curve before the whole thing with Levi Pettit at Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, uh, and Monet Monet Davis, uh, the young baseball phenomenon, uh, where this white guy called her uh, a slut, and she said that he should be absolved. She didn't want to see him kicked off the team. And uh, it's just been a slew of Mary Ann Twitty, who I've referenced already. She apologized. The uh, principal down in Georgia this week, who also doesn't sound oblivious about racism, um, after she said that all the black people were leaving, and then her son came out, and uh, he said nigger when he was defending his mom's actions. Uh, with all of these apologies, Dr. Welsing, she said, she's a black female, she said that she thinks it is mental illness for black people to continue to forgive white people and to say, you know, hey, you did this to me, you harmed me, you mistreated me or other family members, and we forgive you. She said she thinks that this is mental illness. Uh, she thinks that this is totally incorrect, and she does not encourage this sort of behavior at all in terms of forgiving white racist behavior. What do you think about that? I, I'm not in favor of forgiving white racist behavior. Hmm. Do you see that? Uh, this Because uh, it's, it's my sense that that gets promoted frequently uh, in terms yes, of... I, I agree. Okay. I agree. Okay. I think, and I th- and I think that it it perpetuates white privilege because it's aimed at trying to make white people feel good. And see, that's right for listeners. Even though I agree with his point about the forgiveness, I mean that's significant. But in my view, what I think could be him deliberately practicing racism just with the word white privilege. Do you think that's the most accurate way of describing what you just laid out? That if this is true, we think that consistently there is an effort to encourage and promote black people, victims of white terrorism, forgiving white abuse, white terrorism, white molestation of black people, that this is being done deliberately and consistently to make white people feel good. Do you really think the term white privilege, that's the best term to describe what's happening there? No. No? What would be a better term? Well, I think white supremacy is closer to a oh, better term. Okay. Than okay. Yeah. Right. There's a there's an important connection, I think, between white privilege and white supremacy. White supremacy has to do with domination. White privilege is what enables white supremacy. So the white privilege is about the assumption that white people are superior. That assumption is part of the culture, and that assumption is a powerful thing that props up white supremacy. So the only reason to have a society that's organized around the idea that whites are better than people of color, the only reason to have that kind of culture is to support a system of white domination and white supremacy. So I don't, I don't see white privilege and white supremacy as being interchangeable. They're, I don't see them as being the same, but they're very tightly connected to each other. The white privilege is what makes white supremacy possible. And the only reason to have white privilege is white supremacy. If you don't have white supremacy, there's no reason for white privilege. Mm. They exist hand in hand. Mm. 
I just it, so when you asked me before if I thought white privilege was the most accurate, I didn't want to choose because they're both they're both powerful and they're both connected. I don't know how to talk about one without talking about the other. So I, I don't do want to choose one. I do I don't, but I, I'm just saying I don't want to choose one I, I or the other. I think I, they're both I think, real I and they're both connected an, to each other. I think that is an act of racism just with the term white privilege because I don't see a value to that term being used in this discussion at all. What we're really talking I, about. I, I hear that. Hang on. What we're really I talking hear. about, there was a documentary film yesterday, Allen Iverson, basketball player, and I knew it was going to be about racism. Uh, how could it not be? dominates everything. He was talking. He was about to be sentenced by a white man in the state of Virginia. He was about to be sentenced. He didn't know what his sentence was going to be. Uh, there was a, a mob, uh, a mob scene of mob violence at a bowling alley. Anyway, and he says, this is him at 18. He says, uh, that judge, he can ruin four black lives tomorrow. He says, that white mother mm, has a lot of power. He didn't say privilege. He said that white mother has a lot of power. That's what mm -hmm. we're really talking about. We're not talking about privilege. Just that whole turn. There's such a standard. And I can, I can even read some of your other work. I spent some time uh, checking out your blog and listening to some of your uh, videos as well to do preparation. But uh, when I read a white person uh, and they talk uh, about racism in this manner, where you say uh, every day millions of decent, moral, well-intentioned white people participate in a system that is designed to advantage them at the expense of colored people. I would say just a sentence like that tells me a lot about a white person like yourself who alleges that they are working against racism. I can just, I mean, just that, I can start Wow, that's a lot of adjectives for white folks. I mean, it couldn't just be moral white people. It couldn't just be well-intentioned. It's got to be decent, well-intentioned, and moral white. Like, wow, that's a lot of white praise. Um, when I move forward, a system that is designed not to terrorize and abuse non-white people, but designed to advantage them, whites, at the expense of people of color. It's been my experience that white people very much invest in talking about racism in a way that moves away from this is designated terrorism against black people. That's what it is. It's not, oh, white people just get a few extra goodies when they go to sleep, uh, when they go to sleep at night. Their knapsack uh, is filled with a few extra candy bars and some star, uh, Starbucks uh, gift certificates some trips to this tanning salon, some job applications that they already know are going to be accepted. I mean, no, this is about mistreated, designed, deliberate abuse, such as documented in that Ferguson report, what's been documented with the San Francisco Police Department, why they're fighting to get those emails from former U.S. District Judge Richard Siebel. This is about targeted, designated abuse, not privilege. That just, in my opinion, it does a great job of being very euphemistic and diluting what is targeted terrorism. As what I'm saying, is it inaccurate? Well, you know, I don't think it is. Um, and what it makes me think of is that the examples that you're citing are from the legal system, from police, from courts. Educators? Um, yeah. 
But the, the biggest examples, most of the examples you use, the most egregious examples you used have to do with police and courts, the use of power, the use of violence. Uh, professors don't have the ability to torture people in the way that police do, for example. And it's not an accident that these examples of real violence, of real terrorizing, you know, shooting you in the street when you've done nothing wrong, it's not an accident that those come from the places in this society that, that that's their job. The police are the enforcers of last resort. They've got the guns. They're in a position to beat people and to torture them and to murder them. Most white people in their everyday lives aren't in a position to do that. They're connected to it. It's being done in their name. They're not objecting to it for the most part. But they're not the ones who actually pull the trigger. Mm. So I would say to you, I would say to you uh, uh, that both things are true. That the, that the vast majority of the white people in the United States, as far as I can tell, are not engaged in deliberate acts of torture and terrorizing themselves. They don't, they're not in a position to do that. But they are complicit in those people who are engaging in that behavior. So the, the violence that, that the police are doing against black people in this country, that violence is being done by a very small group of people compared to the whole population. But the whole population is not separate from that. I'm not separate from that as a white person. Mm. I am complicit in it because I'm participating in this society. So I would say yes to you. I think that's true. I think there's an aspect of white supremacy in this country that has always been enforced with violence and terror. That's, that, you, know, that's, that's, you know, that's just clear history. And it okay. continued. Okay. I just want to hop in because we do have callers, so I want to make sure that folks get a chance to chime in. They can make sure if, you know, they feel like you've been giving accurate information and you are not being deliberately deceptive, they can get that in as well if I've been in error. Uh, but I just, and I really... I hope that people, if you listen to this program, I hope you'll you will reflect on certain concepts, the concept of racism, right? The concept of, quote unquote, white privilege, the concept of violence, even the concept of terrorism, uh, because what you just said, fundamentally, I disagree with or it's not even that I disagree with it. It's just not logical. And I would point people to the evidence, the phenomenal report that Nicole Hannah-Jones submitted. Uh, it's from ProPublica, December 2014, where she's talking about Michael Brown. She's not talking about him being shot and killed. She's talking about the horrendous school situation that students, black students like Michael Brown Jr. had to endure in the metro St. Louis area as a result of economic terrorism on the part of white people. And we talked about that on this program consistently. And even the documentary film Spanish Lake talks about how this was done deliberately by white people, some of many of whom are still alive right now, while Michael Brown Jr., why his area of town looks the way it is and all that played out the way it is. There are white people who deliberately did that. That is a form of violence. It is not just enforcement officers. It really, it goes back to when people reference Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. when he says that uh, race soldiers don't just think of police officers and 
a judge, think of every individual white person, because I would submit. And this is one listeners you can verify for yourself. I submit if you are a part of the global white army, regardless of whether you have five billion dollars or on welfare, you are given license and really encouraged to mistreat non-white people. And you can reflect on your own experience and see if that's true. If you think just any old, even the low level, poor white people, if they have the ability to go out and terrorize, inflict violence on black people, violence with impunity upon black people. And like I said, reflect and maybe change, expand your notion of the concept of violence to include not just the shootings and what have you, even a lot what Dr. Jennifer Daniels said about those incidents being distracted when you, the, the health system in racism, white supremacy that black people are subjected to, medical apartheid, what we talked about. Are, think of that also when you think about violence. And I will stop there. Folks that dialed in, if you have questions right. for Dr. Johnson, uh, feel free. You can chime in 760-569-7676. And the code is 564 Pound. If you hold your thought, I will give you an opportunity to respond. I just want to make sure we don't miss out the callers. Uh, Thomas Smith uh, in New York, if you had a question for Dr. Johnson, you should be with us. Proceed. Uh, uh, Thomas. Oh, yes, we can hear you, sir. How are you today, um, sir? How are you, sir? You Hello. Uh, first, I had a couple of questions for you, but um, you know, I I don't like the like the white um privilege, privilege either. I prefer to say white power. Um, to me, it'll fit everywhere you use white privilege. If you put white power there, it'll fit perfectly, and that's what we're up against here. Um, I had a few questions for you, sir. You said that you were tw- um, seventy years old. Yes. <laughs> when you're seventy years, um of living. When, when exactly did this system of white privilege start? I mean, it couldn't have started in the 60s. They had signs up that said, no niggas allowed, whites only, colored, no colored could drink here. So the, uh, no one was oblivious to it then. So it had to start after the 60s. I mean, what year exactly did it start? And you're obtaining your 70. My understanding about the system of white privilege is that it started probably about 300 years ago. So three years ago, white people were totally unoblivious to um, the system of racism, white supremacy, you're saying, when they had slaves? They, they, they were totally ignorant to the fact that these people were slaves, that they had them outside in the field working, in the house serving them? You were, I mean, you said earlier that these are white people who have no knowledge that they're doing this. So no, what I'm asking what I, that's you... That's not what I've said or what I believe. Oh, okay. Well, I apologize then. No, that's all right. All right. That, that's not what um, I mean. What did you say exactly then? Um, can, you, can you reiterate? What I said was, the, the, the question was, did white people suffer and agonize over what was being done to people of color? No, no, no. I'm talking about your definition for white privilege. How do I define the word privilege? No. You talk specifically about white privilege. Gus gave you a whole bunch of of um, examples of what white privilege is and has been contorted into, and you were... I'm sorry, I'm not hearing what you're saying. 
I'm not hearing any of this. I'm not. I'm hearing the program in the background, Thomas. I don't know if you like if you're listening on the computer or if the connection is bad. But uh, I'm not. I can't. I'm not hearing him either, Doctor Johnson. So I don't. Maybe he's having some difficulties. We'll pick up our next caller, and then uh, if uh, you know, we'll check back in to see if he uh, can get his question through. Eight one seven nine. Eight one seven nine. Did you have a question for Doctor Johnson? You should be with us. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello. Uh, hi. Good evening, Gus, and to the callers and to your guests. Um, <clears throat> my question is, you said uh, you spent a lot of time talking about racism um, to, I guess, you're, you're, are you a professor? I was. Okay. Um, is the majority of your audience white or non-white? I would say the majority of the audience is people of color. Okay, so in your opinion, do you who do you feel is most confused about racism, white people or non-white people? White people. And you feel that the victims of um, who experience racism or where you don't think that they're more confused? Well, um, confused. Can you help me? Confused about what? Just about the system, just the practices, the way you know the. White people practice racism. How I mean, if we're being victimized, I'm a I'm a victim of racism, and if I I, I believe if I understood the system better, it would help me to at least protect myself as best as I can, yeah. um, as opposed to the people who practice racism against me. So I'm just wondering, do you think? I mean, you said white people are more confused, in your opinion. I think white people are much less, um, white people don't go out of their way to understand what's happening. Um, so in that sense, I think they're confused. Actually, I, actually, I want to take that back. I don't find white people to be confused. Um, I find them to be resistant. I find that they don't want to know about these things. I find that they get really defensive if you bring it up but I don't experience them as being confused. I do think that they don't have a good understanding of how the system works. Um, I don't know that, in, in my experience, I don't know that people of color have a, people of color certainly have a very clear understanding of their own experience, um, but I don't know that, that, they're, that they're any better uh, informed about, say, how the global system of white privilege works uh, through capitalism and colonialism, I don't know that they have a better understanding of that uh, than white people do. Um, I think that's why when things happen in this country, uh, we have such, um, you know, what happens afterwards is uh, everybody yells at everybody. Everybody tries to blame everybody else um, because uh, I, as a country, we don't have a way of talking about race um, that's grounded in how it really works. So the idea of white privilege, for example, or the idea of white supremacy for many white people, um, they don't want to know about it. They don't want to talk about it. And I don't think that's a matter of them being confused. Does that make sense? Um, not really, but okay, I'll accept your answer. Um, do you feel that the practice of racism is equivalent to terrorism? I think it can be. I don't think it always is. 
I think it takes lots of different forms. I think what Gus was saying before about uh, economic terrorism, I think he's right. I agree with you. Um, and well, I think outside of economics, do you just in general think that the practice of racism, racism is equivalent to terrorism? I'm going to say yes. So would it be pretty accurate to describe a racist as a terrorist? If you want to see it as being a particular kind of person, yes, I don't look at it that way. But well, I'm saying if I can identify someone as a racist based off of my, if, if I feel like someone is practicing racism against me and I feel like I've identified accurately a racist, yeah. would, you, would that be the same as saying they're a terrorist? Well, you know, terror, the word terrorist is a really loaded word these days, you know, 9-11 and all of that. So, I'm, I, so the first thing I'll say is I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to use that word. It's a really powerful word. And the effect of white racism is to make people of color never feel at home, never feel that they can relax, never feel that they can put down their guard. And I would say that's the definition of being terrorized. So I would say yes. Um, my last question is, do you think that um, non-white people can practice racism or be racist? No. Okay. All right. Thanks for taking my call and um, answering my questions. I'll mute my line. Thanks, Gus. Thank you. The person, good to hear from you. Uh, the person at 6492, 6492, did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Your line should be open. Oh, hi, Joy. Sorry. <laughs> I did. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, there were a couple things I thought that, um, uh, uh, is it Mr. Johnson? I'm sorry. Yes, hello. Hi. I uh, you said I thought were odd. Um, you, you mentioned China um, when I first dialed in. I didn't really get the, the very beginning that they are um, uh situated to kind of take over, that there's really no racism in China? Did you say that? They weren't victims no. of racism? Or? No, that's not what I said. Okay, I'm sorry. So what, was, what did you mean when you said China? I was saying I don't, I don't know that white domination is, uh, is what's governing China right now, and that China may become one of the most powerful countries in the world. That was my point. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I got. And I, and I kind of doubt that. And that's because, um, you know, white racism or white supremacy, you know, has basically infiltrated China. You know, their land is mm -hmm. polluted. They, they uh -huh. have that strict one-child policy. And right now, there are not enough women for men. So I think they're, they're going to probably die out. They're, they're not going to be able to withstand, you know, it, it was a subtle attack, but definitely an attack. And um, and and it was white people that did, right? You may be right about that. I don't know. And then, um, secondly, I I, I you know kind of heard the back and forth about white supremacy versus white privilege, and so and I found that um, um, pretty interesting. Now you're now to me, if I'm privileged that. That means it's really not my fault. It was something I was born into, that someone gave it to me, and that I don't really um, participate in it. But that's not what I see in our system of white supremacy. And a couple of examples of that 
you know, like you did mention economic terrorism. Like, for example, they've done several studies where they um, send out resumes, identical, everything's identical except a quote-unquote yeah. black-sounding name versus a white-sounding name. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, yeah. Okay. Now, aren't those ordinary white people that are looking at those resumes and deliberately choosing the white-sounding name? I don't know that it's conscious. I just don't know. Well, okay, so when you look at someone's name and judge it, how you can do that unconsciously? Yes. Okay, and so, but the the outcome is, so, so that way, again, you're blameless because you're unconscious? No. No. When, when I say that, you know, that, that we're all born into this system and we didn't create it and it's not our fault, I'm not saying we're not responsible. I'm saying just the opposite. Because the system of white privilege can't operate without white people making it operate the way it does. So we're absolutely responsible. Whether we're conscious of the bias or not is irrelevant because the outcome is the same. I think white people are completely responsible for doing something about this. And the fact that we didn't create this system doesn't mean we're not responsible for it. Doesn't mean we're not participating in it. It's just the opposite. We are. We are the ones who are making it happen. Uh, Joy, if you this, exactly. anyway, this doesn't in any way take white people off the hook. My point is exactly the opposite of that. But in their minds, they're off the hook. That's the problem because they don't have to yes. face it. Like you said, they yes. can be. They can ignore it. They can deny it. Yes. They can pretend that it never happened and it was somebody else's fault. Every time you bring them reparations, well, you know. Um, those, oh, the slavery was 150 years ago. I don't care about it now. Well, I agree with you. you. Know I agree with you. And uh, so in order to, if, if your goal is to wake these people up, maybe you need to be a little bit firmer when you talk to them so that they can, you know, they can't really hide, they can't dodge what, you know, what racism really is and how they continue to benefit each and every day, and how they need to stand up and put a stop to it. Uh, we're going to get our next caller in. I just want to point out Thank you. the significance of the significance of me challenging the privilege, and even that white people are not oblivious that all of that is false and done deliberately. So, I suspect by Dr. Johnson and many other white people is that it does matter because if it is that white people are deliberately terrorizing black people, practicing white supremacy worldwide, you end up at a very different point about how you go about trying to solve this problem if this is being done deliberately. They know this and they're doing this deliberately as opposed to, well, they don't know, they're oblivious. Yeah, they do get some kudos, but they just, they aren't really aware. And if we just get them the correct information, they can maybe change their behavior and they will join us in trying to solve this problem. Those are two very different assessments of what's happening. And I just, again, in my view, the evidence is overwhelming that what Dr. Johnson is saying is absolute folly, but it's dangerous. Next caller, uh, 5640-5640. Did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Hello? Yes, ma'am. Hello. Oh, hi. Well, uh, hi, Gus, and welcome to the guest, Dr. Johnson. Hello. Hi. Um, you mentioned how the police uh, are brutal against blacks, um, and you, as a contrast, to uh, uh, how uh, 
white professors treat black students. Can you tell me how white professors mistreat black students and um, just from your, the days when you were in higher education? Um, I think um, there, there are various ways in which um, students of color get mistreated in classrooms. Um, one, is, one, one is that they're made invisible. They're ignored. Um, their work is devalued. The expectations of them are lower than for white students, so they're not challenged um, in the way that white students get challenged. And cha being challenged is how you grow. There are, uh, you know, there's there's a case of a, a white professor at Duke right now. Um, the, the professors have a lot of power in classrooms, and they can say pretty much anything they want. And that includes saying things that are racist. Um, teachers in classrooms will often call upon students of color to speak on behalf of their race, which they would never do with white students. So they call attention to the fact that they're not just students, but they're students of color, whereas white students get to be just students. So there are all kinds of ways in which um, white power gets used against students of color in classrooms. Uh, which helps explain why um, college uh, students of color in colleges, for example, uh, have lower completion rates, I believe, than white students because the the environment that they're in is um, is uh, not only less supportive but in many ways is hostile to their being there. And white faculty members often encounter, I mean, uh, uh, faculty members of color often encounter similar things um, that they're in a hostile environment in which the message gets sent to them in all kinds of ways that they're not supposed to be there, that they don't belong, that they're not good enough. I think that's all a form of violence. Thank you. Yeah, I had a very negative experience when I was, in, uh, when I was a student in college. Um, there were at least two or three white professors who uh, said that I could not do that. The doctor is only going to be with us for about another 20 minutes, so we really just need questions. I promise if you uh, would like, once he exits, I will definitely give you time if you want to share some of your experiences, but it would be great if we could just uh, get as many questions in as possible. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. John. Thank you. And I'm serious about that. I, I will definitely make time if you want to share uh, your experience uh, with racism as a student. Um, Caller at 5098-5098. Did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Yes. Uh, uh, greetings, Dr. Johnson and Gus T. I'll try to be concise in the interest of time. I'm just finishing a book. It's called Inadmissible Evidence by um, Evelyn A. Williams, and I'm also finishing a Sada Shakur's um, um, biography. I'm reading them both, and they're overlapping. But anyway, the, getting to the question is this. Um, Sada Shakur was accused of a crime. She was a passenger in a, in a car. Uh, let me just go generically. In the, in the commission, say, of a bank robbery, the people that are in the car, if, if a police officer is shot dead, everyone in that car, even though they were waiting outside, are going to be charged with murder, from my understanding of the justice system. Is that correct? I'm not a lawyer, but it sounds right. Yeah. Okay, so in this particular book, um, uh, in Evelyn Williams' book, um, she is working for the Harlem, um, um, I think it's the uh, Legal Resources. And under Ed, Edward Koch, uh, 
something called gentrification. These the, some people were targeted because they want to develop this building. It happened to be the coldest winter in New York at that time. So a lot of these people, they were rats, roaches. They cut off the boiler. Uh, the boiler. I mean, it was just deplorable conditions. Those whites that sat on the board and in 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 blacks. Um, when they evicted these people and put them in um, uh, homeless shelters and so forth, those folks who made that decision, who sat on the board and also defunded this particular resource center that, that dealt with evictions, would you consider that white privilege or, or their apathy? Is that considered white privilege or was it an act of violence, an administrative violence, if I may be specific? I think it's both. So, so under, help me understand, how is that privilege? I'm a little confused. The privilege is in, in, is in their feeling authorized to do that, feeling they had the right to do that. So it's not complete white domination or, or, or an act of terrorism, even though it's, a, it's, it's, in a, it's, it's, in, it's in paper, it's administrative? No, you, I, I said it's both. I think it is. An I act, just, I mean, and I'm not trying to be. I'm, I'm, let me get off. I'm going to get off right now. I know there's other okay. callers waiting, but I'll think about it because I'm not. I'm not understanding where the privilege come in. I, that, that's just an act of administrative terrorism, if I may be specific. The that's privilege just my is take. the privilege is what they use to justify the act of administrative terrorism. Okay, it's I'll both. leave it right because we have other okay. we have other callers. But 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 thank you so much. Thank you. I'll mute my line. To, uh, locate our next caller, the person at five two three four five two three four. Did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Uh, yes. Um, hello. Good evening, guys. Um, good evening, Dr. Johnson. Um, I wanted to ask because I, I agree with everything Gus was saying in regards to your use of the term white privilege. I wanted to ask you something. Um, do you think that racism is white culture? Is white culture? Yes. Would you define racism as white culture? It's part of the. It's part of our culture. Yes. Okay. So, I would also ask now: What do you define as white culture? What, in your opinion, is white culture? What makes um, it up? How does it? How does it work? Um, the, the way I would answer that is: When you first said white culture, I had a problem with that. Um, okay. There's the culture of the United States. The, 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 the United States is a white-identified society. It's a white-dominated society. It's a white-centered society, which means basically it's all about being white, which means that racism is part of that culture of the whole country. It's part of the dominant culture of the whole country. In the media, the school system, politics, economics, it's everywhere in the culture of the whole country that we all have to live under. And you're using the phrase white culture. That, I mean, that's okay with me. I mean, that works for me um, only in the sense that, that the whole society is all about white people. It is identified okay, so with and centered on white people. So would you define, absolutely. But I would say, would you define um, racism as white culture? Because ultimately, when this country was founded, it wasn't founded on privilege. When they kidnapped those Africans, they did not kidnap them for privilege. They kidnapped them to terrorize them. They kidnap them to make them, to enslave them, and to force them to do everything that black people have done from the time we've gotten here. 
So I believe, in my opinion, that racism is white culture. And like you said, it, it, it permeates every level, every facet, every daily experience that we as black people in this country uh, have Questions? Deal with. Do you have any other questions, sir? Uh, no, thank you so much. I said, uh, I, I'm asking on the attack. Oh, thank you. Cool. Let's see, the person, caller, I think this is Tapello, 3358, 3358, should be with us. Greetings, Gus. Greetings. Greetings uh, to the guest. Hello. Hello, sir. Uh, I heard earlier you stated that the, um, can you hear me all right? Barely. I can hear you. Oh, I can hear you. Okay, I you stated earlier. That um, that white started three hundred years ago. Correct. That white what? That the term white started three hundred years ago. Um, that's a that's a good approximation to it. Yeah, the hi- whole idea of whiteness and the, the idea of race that we practice now in this country. Can you give us an elaboration? Because, see, I'm, I'm confused because when I do my history study, uh, uh, some Native Americans were also classified as white. And uh, w- was this part of the eugenics process or something going on? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. What, uh, the, the, the English classified some Native Americans as white? Uh, yes, there were some uh, Native Americans. They were also classified as white. I'm just, I'm not familiar with that. Yes. Um, it would be in Virginia history. Uh-huh. It's, it's part of the uh, Racial Integrity Act, matter of fact. They, many of them had problems. But my question is, from your experience with this word white, um, I want to know what it is. What, how did white people become white? And what was a white person 300 years ago? Because 300 years ago, they didn't use these terms like that. Um, only when they wrote the Constitution in, yeah. is when they described what a white person was, but they never described what a white person was. And only till recently after that, they described what a black person was mm-hmm. by the eugenics. Right. But Africans and Native Americans were all classified or they had thought back then as one and the same. So a black person was a Native American. It didn't matter to them. Yes. Now I want to know how did a person from Europe who weren't in the same system how did they know what a white person was and would they be classified as a white person when they got here mm-hmm. and what a white person was classified as, period? What is a, what is a white person so that we can have this understanding of what white privilege right. is? I think that's a great question. My understanding of this is based on um, uh, several, uh, hist- several works of history, the main one being by a guy named Theodore Allen, which is called The History of, of the White Race. And he traces it to England and England's relationship with Ireland and England trying to conquer the Irish. And that the idea of whiteness came out of that because the Irish refused to be conquered by the English. 
And so now, the when, English... What year is this? What year uh, is this? Are we you're, you're getting me there. Uh, 1600s. Okay. Now, in the 1600s, um, we had a rebellion that kicked out the royals of Europe. So uh, is this whiteness still part of the picture? I don't believe so, but I'm also I'm not going to pretend to know what I don't really know. Um, you're asking okay. me questions that I, I don't really have specific knowledge about that. But the idea of whiteness okay. was not about the color of skin, because, you know, right. a white person's skin is not really white. Um, I think whiteness had to do with the idea of purity, that the English saw themselves in relation to those they were trying to conquer, in, beginning with the Irish, as being uh, civilized, being pure. Um, and the, the Irish that they were trying to conquer were, were seen as savages, uh, not human, and that the word white was, uh, uh, was uh, used as a form of code. Right. And I think that's so, the way it's always been used. Okay. So the Irish so, at one point were not considered to be white by the English. That's the language that they used. Okay, now taking that as, as, as its um, factor, what were determining factors on what an English person because the English person is, what, a Saxon, a German? Yeah. That's one, that's one so line where, of English. Where did their, where did their uh, idea of what a um, pure person was, if they're coming from the Germanic tribes, what, what is their idea of pureness coming from? Who, who bestowed this? Is it, is it something to do with royalty or, or pureness of blood? I don't know. Or is it that you're a landowner? Could be. I don't, I, I, as I said, I just, I don't know. You're asking me questions that I, I don't feel like I know the answer or have an answer. Okay. We'll move on to our next okay. uh, caller. Make sure we get Thank as you. many folks in as we can. Caller at 0533-0533. Did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Uh, yes. How you doing, Dr. Johnson? Hello. Hello, hello. Hello. Um, just had a just had a few questions. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, can you great, hear me? Great. Yeah, I can hear you. Hear you clearly. Hear you clearly. Okay. Um, just had a few questions for you. Could you give some examples of how the power structure or the power in general in America or worldwide is transferred from generation to generation? <sighs> well, That's a economic pretty broad, pretty broad question. So. Yeah. Well. So I'll just give you some things that come into my head. Economic power increasingly is being passed through inheritance. Yeah. Um, and, but in terms of race, the way power gets transferred is that uh, each new generation um, uh, of white people um, is given um, uh, access to social class positions that people of color are not given access to. So it gets passed on in that way. Um, okay. I mean, the accumulation, the, you know, white, white households today have roughly 20 times the net wealth of African-American households, 20 times the net wealth. And there's a long history of how that has happened. And much of that history has to do with deliberate government programs that transferred wealth from the government to the white population, but did not transfer that wealth to the, to the black population. And there's a long history of this. That's a great answer. Do you have any examples of uh, Do you have any examples of some some countering or counter racist or countering ideas to the system that can strengthen uh, non white people as far as uh, 
something that we could do, uh, something that we could read, study, or some ideas on just how to combat the system? I think the most important thing uh, that has to get done uh, in terms of, of weakening the system is to, in some ways, do what Gus has been trying to do with me tonight. Um, it has to get called out. We're not, you know, the, 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 uh, there is so much noise that drowns out the truth of what's happening in this country um, that the truth has to get through all that noise. And so when, when Gus, when you talked about the, the book, uh, the, uh, the Possessive um, uh, Investment in Whiteness, how the white population has been given, actually that wasn't you, I think that was the clip that you played before the show began. Um, that's a very powerful piece of knowledge that, we, that is not shared in this country, is that the white population has been given a huge material investment in the continuation of racism in this country. I know. Thank you, uh, caller. We're going to hit the uh, next one. I would encourage folks to read that. Check that book out as well. It does have great information. Uh, caller at 9... Uh, the author is Lipsitz, I think. Yes, George Lipsitz. I think that's yeah. it. Uh, 9769. Caller at last four digits. 9769. Did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Hi. Greetings, um, Gus and Dr. Johnson. Hello. Um, hello. Um, so, Dr. Johnson, that you said that white privilege and white supremacy, those are um, two terms that are closely related? Yes. Um, so um, what would be more accurate to describe the system of domination over um, that subjugation on white people? I'm not sure I understand your question. So... Um, I mean, do you think it's more? Do you think it's confusing to say that there's a system of white privilege and a system of white supremacy? It's not to me, because they go together. You don't have one without the other. Okay. There are um, two aspects of the same thing. The same thing being. There are two aspects of the same thing. The same thing being. The same thing being what? The point of the system is white supremacy. That's what's being propped up. White supremacy in white control over the economic system, the political system, the educational system, everything. And that is, that is made possible by white people having all these advantages that they didn't earn. That's how it gets. That's one of the ways. It's not the only way, but that's one of the major ways that it gets accomplished. So yes, I guess I would say then that the, the point of the whole thing, without which none of this makes sense, is white white dominance and white supremacy. That's what's being maintained, okay. and white privilege is the way that it gets maintained. Um, do you that make sense? That, um, that, um, that was clear. Yes, it made sense. It made more sense. Um, do you think white supremacists or people who practice racism, do you think they have um, become more refined in practicing white supremacy? Yes. In what way? Although, you know, although a lot, you know, the examples that have been given over the last hour and a half for a lot of white people, no, I wouldn't say they're more refined at all. But certainly for, you know, middle class, upper class white people who consider themselves to be sophisticated, educated, enlightened, 
yes. Uh, I, I think racism very often takes forms that are much more, uh, to, at least to them, uh, are more subtle, less blatant. Hmm. Uh, we had one more call. I want to make sure we nab them in as well. Uh, Mr. Nero, did you have a question for Dr. Johnson? Your line should be open, Mr. Nero. I, I did. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Hello. Well, greetings to, to you, Gus, and greetings to you, Mr. Johnson. Hello. And I'm sorry, is it Dr. Johnson? Either way, it's fine. Okay, Dr. Johnson, I'm sorry. And greetings to the callers, because they've been, uh, you know, throwing some fastballs at you, some high fastballs. I'm going to lob one up for you, though, Doc. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let me ask you, I, I've made some observations between um, white females and their children. And there seems to be a strange relationship between the white mother and her son. And I'm hoping that you have made similar observations, not in most, not in all, but just in a significant amount between mother and son and the relationship between the mother and son. And I was hoping you can elaborate on anything you observed that seems either odd or abusive or just, you know, not normal? Um, I don't have, <laughs> I have one son and <laughs> I have three grandsons and that's about it for my exposure. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a view of white mothers in general and relationships with their sons. So I don't think I can help you about that unless there's hmm. something specific you've got in mind. Well, I mean, you, you do have a white mother, correct? Yes. Okay. So you haven't noticed any... I'm, I'm wondering how this system then could develop if, I mean, if the mother is normal and she's raising him to just a, you know, lo loving, nurturing environment, oh, how yeah. is he so brutal and wicked? I mean, explain that to me. That's a really good question. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, I guess the question you're asking is, is how do white babies turn into adults who participate in oppression in so many ways? Is that what you're asking? Why aren't we all raised to be loving human beings who would never participate in terrorism? Is that what you're asking? No, I mean, I, I, I think I asked it the way I asked it. Uh, it's fine. Uh, I'm just, like I said, I was, I was just wondering if you had made some observations yeah, that you were no, willing I have, to share. No, I haven't. I haven't. I, have. I, really, okay. I don't. Okay. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It's not something I've okay. thought about. Good question, okay. though. Okay. All right. That's all I have. All right. Thank you. Cool. Uh, Dr. Johnson, if you can just give me, like, three minutes. I had a couple quick questions I wanted to get in, and then we can allow that's you to fine. exit. Right on. Um, the first one, just if, if folks, listeners, uh, if your memory is good, um, Dr. Johnson, when he was having the exchange with one of our earlier callers and the subject of, well, if you both mentioned uh, are familiar with the, the study about um, names on employment applications and rental agreements, that sort of thing, and the racism that's practiced there, uh, and Dr. Johnson mentioned the incident at Duke where Professor uh, Jerry Ho, I think that's his name, H-O-U-G-H, Ho, yeah, Ho, Hugh. I just read about it today. Me too. Um, where uh, he, you know, made these comments uh, in reference to an article that was talking about Baltimore is the product of racism, not white privilege. Uh, Mr. Ho, <laughs> a part of his 
commentary reads, and this is all direct quote, it was in the Washington Post today. I'm a professor at Duke University. Every Asian student has a very simple old American first name that symbolizes their desire for integration. Virtually every black has a strange new name that symbolizes their lack of desire for integration. The amount of Asian white dating is enormous and so surely will be the intermarriage. Black white dating is almost non-existence because of the ostracism by blacks of anyone who dates whites. Uh, I would just rhetorically ask to listeners, does that sound like someone who is oblivious or not aware about racism and specifically practicing racism with regards to black people's names? Uh, the other question that I wanted to ask uh, one of our guests, Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., he says pretty frequently that white people cannot be ignorant about racism, that they will get in trouble with other white people if they violate the racist code. Uh, do you think that is an accurate statement? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever gotten in trouble uh, in term, from by another white person, you ever gotten in trouble with another white person where they said, hey, I think you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing as a white man? I get it all the time. Hmm. I see. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I get my share of hate mail. Okay. Um, have you ever heard anyone reference uh, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Goebbels, Nazi Germany as an example of white privilege and specifically using that term? to describe what happened to so-called Jews in Nazi Germany? No. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Hmm. (laughs) That's one I would encourage listeners to think about. Why is it that only black people, the term white privilege pops up? Why would not it also apply to what happened in Nazi Germany? Why is that a Holocaust? I think it does apply. I, I I think it does apply. I just haven't heard it used. Why? That's all. And I'm... Why have you not? Why have I not heard it used? Why do you think that is? Well, I think because I think the people who are looking at issues of race in the United States don't uh, turn don't turn their focus to what happened in Germany. That's my impression. I don't agree with that. I hear that all the the time. The concept of white the concept of white privilege got developed in relation to the United States. That's I'm just guessing. I don't I can't explain why people haven't used the term. I I disagree there. I hear people make comparisons to Nazi Germany on a pretty uh, regular basis. In fact, when people are talking about generally going into uh, what you referenced earlier with the GI Bill and uh, FHA and all the things that happened post-World War II, a lot of it comes up there, that in the shadow of this, we had to be more refined. You can't be going around saying that you're against Hitler and we defeated the fascist Nazis and then, you know, hanging niggers and what have you. I hear it all the time. So I don't to me, that's not a a feasible reason as to why Nazi Germany does not get tagged as an example of white privilege. Uh, I would encourage listeners to to ponder on that one. See if you anything pops up. Um, The last one did I get in? Right on. Uh, The last one, you all touched on it with labor. I would just say for me, that's yet another illustration of uh, with regards to black people not being hired and even the names being a part of it. If a person has a black sounding name, their application just going in the trash immediately. That to me sounds like white people have a very thorough understanding of the labor code of racism, white supremacy. Don't hire niggers. That sounds like they got 
they got it. I don't see too many white people who don't understand that code that black people are not supposed to be getting hired, uh, particularly for any sort of cushy, nice, secure jobs. Black people are not supposed to be even considered. It seems like most white people have a thorough understanding of that. Do you? Is that logical? That most white people have a thorough understanding of that? Of the racist code that black people are not supposed to be hired or even considered for most jobs, particularly good, quality, well-paying jobs. It seems like most white people understand that aspect of the racist code. I'm saying, is that logical? Is that accurate? Well, I think it's logical. I don't know if it's accurate. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, uh, you, you know the... the uh, never mind. Uh, Dr. Johnson, you all can check out his website. It's linked... Uh, I think one of our listeners, I hope that he got to see. Oh, did you get, that was what I wanted to ask. Did you get uh, compensated, your talk, the Endowment for Health uh, in Concord, New Hampshire, in March of this year? Did you get compensated? Yeah. For, oh, okay. What, what did they compensate you? I don't, I don't talk about my income. Oh, that's, that's important. You understand that that is an aspect of racism where white people get to go out and talk about racism and they can be paid and paid well. And black people can go do the same thing and they do not get compensated or wouldn't even be asked. You do understand that, correct? Yes. Okay. So I'll ask again. Uh, what What was your rate of compensation? Because I think that's very important. I don't understand important. why you're asking me the question. I think we just agreed that frequently that's one way that white supremacy operates, that white people can go out and give talks about racism and be paid for doing so where there are black people who have exact same qualifications, if not better. They don't even get in an invitation to do such a thing, much less being compensated for it. I thought we were in agreement that we both know and that they that happens. Should be. Okay. And, they should and be so that's why I'm going back to, so what was your rate of compensation uh, when you spoke? Uh, and I don't you, talk about my income. Okay. I, that would, chalk, would be another one that I would chalk up as an act of racism on Dr. Johnson's part, which has just been one of many. Uh, thank you for sharing a bit of your time. Uh, it was interesting to hear your views, and I will keep an eye out for your work. Uh, in the future, uh, Dr. Alan G. Johnson. Thank you, sir. Good night. Yes, sir. Context of white supremacy. Man, I would have kicked myself if I forgot that because that was one of the first questions I wanted to ask. The purse strings. <sighs> Anywho, um, I can say for listeners, I don't know if the person who recommended uh, Dr. Johnson, if you are listening, if you... Uh, would like to chime in based on what you heard. If you got to see him in person, I might be confused. They might have just seen the video like I saw it. But if uh, if that person who recommended is listening, if you want to chime in, uh, if you got to see him in person, that would be even better because he said that when he goes out to speak, it's mostly black people. That makes it even worse. Like you get to go out and give this sort of bogus information and come off as an expert on racism, get paid for doing so. And it's mostly victims, non-white people listening that right there, <laughs> that is the everyday onslaught, in my opinion, of white supremacy racism. I guess it would depend on what you what you think about uh, what he just said. This would be another great illustration. And I, the, the caller, uh, I think it was the female caller, you were going to talk about your experience of being terrorized as a student. I promise uh, if you would like to share, uh, I will give you the mic first as soon as we're done. Uh, so you can share. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I'll go to you as soon as uh, I finish up. But this is a great illustration of the importance of checking the news. There have been so many examples in the news over the last six months that just make everything he said sound like utter nonsense, if not outright 
I'm trying to lie and lie and lie and confuse you black people so you'll never understand what it means to be white, what racism, white supremacy is all about. Just things that are in the news. Richard Siebel, this is a judge. Hundreds, they didn't say one or two, they said hundreds of racist emails and they didn't include who these emails were going to. And if they co-signed or if they went and snitched, they didn't include that aspect of it at all because that would indict even more whites. The situation in San Francisco, Great article. I'm so glad I read it where they're talking about hanging black people. Uh, the situation uh, down in Florida. I think we were talking about that on the call this weekend. Again, thank you to the listener who sent me uh, the emails. Uh, but I mean, this is everyday illustrations of what white people say when we are not around. It's total nonsense to be saying that white people are not aware. They don't think about it. They push it out of their mind. They're oblivious. That is total nonsense. They are thinking about and focused on maintaining their system of terrorism over black people at all times and at any cost. That is the white mentality. And that's why I said it's very important uh, to, in my opinion, to recognize that this is not white ignorance, that these are just dummies. Uh, and they don't know what's going down and we just get them enough. If that's not what it is at all, this is being done deliberately. You cannot be a white person and be ignorant about racism. Doc wasn't stupid enough to not answer that question. I'm sure he could have got $5,000, $10,000 to go and give that sort of bogus talk for an hour to a room full of black people. Anyway, the news, I cannot hammer enough. Just there have been so many illustrations of that, as well as even the situation about uh, what happened at Duke with this professor. That, again, direct refutation, directly refutes what he had to say about, hey, white people aren't really aware. They just they they unconsciously see a black name, Jamal or whatever. And oh, throw it in the trash. They do this unconsciously. That's bogus. They sit around and, and joke about all that. Um just uh, reading the newspaper, because I think that came up on the compensatory call in this weekend. And I, even to clarify, you don't have to read the newspaper. However, you, you know, keep up with information. If it's the newspaper, if it's listening, they have tons of news programs that you can listen to uh, online, television programs. I think it's very important just to be informed about what's happening on the planet and because they're frequently talking explicitly about racism. The whole biker situation this week, my goodness. Is, I mean, it's, it is a regular treasure trough. I, I state regularly, the news frequently is way more entertaining than whatever they're showing on HBO, BBC, Showtime, whatever. I mean, wow. Just keeping up with some of the things that are uh, that are going down. So yeah, I would, I would just, again, I think you will learn a lot. And as I started to become more serious about racism, I became much more serious and committed to checking the news on a regular basis, whatever the platform may be. Can't stress that enough. Anyway, um, before I get to the callers, we will take a commercial and I'm going to play a segment from the documentary. I think Thomas in New York emailed me earlier about uh, the Allen Iverson documentary. I posted it on my Facebook page as I was watching it. Yesterday, uh, number one, I knew my high school was going to be in the film. And number two, uh, I knew that well, I didn't know my high school, but I strongly suspected that my high school was going to be in the film. And then two, uh, I was pretty sure I can say that when I knew racism was going to be a huge theme and I was correct on both points. 
Um, it was fast. My jaw was on the ground <laughs> just watching. Uh, it is fascinating. And the best part, the sound clip that I made, it's a little bit long, uh, but it has some of the major elements where my jaw was just on the ground. It is fascinating. I would recommend checking it out if you have younger people, because we talk regularly about how you how you get to victims who are not so interested in discussing racism, how you can kind of pique some interest. This might be something you can use. It's new. Uh, if you have black people, they're into sports and, and that sort of thing, or they have some interest in Allen Iverson. Maybe they were a fan or what have you. Watch this documentary. It is awesome. I have seen other documentaries on him. I think ESPN and their 30 for 30 series did one called uh, No Crossover or something. Uh, that also racism is at the whole core. This white guy talking about this town in Virginia and how racist the white people were. And his dad had black, uh, white people in the store who used to call black people niggers and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. Uh, racism. You can't talk about any. You can't. It's. I don't know how you could talk about a noteworthy black person and not have racism factor factor into the narrative of their existence. I just don't know how that would be possible. It saturates everything about the environment we're in. So we will do the uh, commercial just so, <laughs> just. You're just saying just buckets and buckets of words. Dr. Johnson for sure earned that. Um, so we'll do the commercial, and then as soon as that's done, we'll do the clip from the uh, Iverson documentary, and then we'll see if the uh, female caller, if she, has, if she wants to share her incident of racism from school, or if anybody has any other uh, comments that they would like to get in. Uh, context of white supremacy, man, oh man. And wait for the part when uh, Alan Iverson is speaking, when he says, that white mother has some power. He didn't say privilege. That white mother got some power. Context of white supremacy. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com We was bowling, I mean, before hour, hour and a half before everything happened. We was on, like, lanes 89. The incident took place around lane 32, 33. Um, totally on the other end of the bowling alley where the concession stand was at. I don't even know how um, the incident got started because at the time I was on the lane bowling, and I just hate to admit it again, but I threw a gutter ball, and I happened to slip at the time, and I was getting up off the ground. I heard somebody say, who is that you know, guy in Allen's face? They're white guys from Pocosin. If you're from Virginia, you know that some people from Pocosin don't like black people. Guys would try to, you know, they would mess with him, try to get in his head. And I, I remember times I had to grab him. I'm like, look, man, <laughs> there ain't going to be none of this, man. I seen it was a you know, guy about my height at the time, white guy. So I just, you know, just started jogging down there. 
there among friends, and friends protect friends when something goes on. Everybody knew that Allen had the most potential, so nobody didn't really want to see nothing happen to him. And you don't need this, man. These guys want to bring you down with them. I seen a chair swinging, and instincts just took over. The protection came in. I don't remember exactly how it started. All I remember was just fighting, like, just everywhere. While it was going on, I stopped and stood there and just looked around everywhere. And it actually scared me. Like, like I actually was like, man, I'm out of here. First thing, I've seen chairs flying, bowling alley pins. My friend Dwayne was like, you know, let's go, let's go. And somehow or another, we ended up getting up out of there. We all just got in the car and just went and got something to eat because we was hungry. I remember calling Mo and saying, Mo, I was at the bowling alley, and this would happen. And right then, he'd tell me today he knew I was in trouble. From the moment that he told me that, I knew that there were going to be problems. And I knew at that point that we needed a lawyer. I didn't have a lot of money. And number two, I needed an attorney that was a household name. I was working at Hampton University, and Herb Kelly was one of the attorneys that worked for the university. I thought that if I could get Herb Kelly, then this case could quickly go away. I was sadly mistaken. One day, he told me, the detective called him and told him, if I didn't come down there and take these pictures that night, they was going to arrest me off the floor at the Coliseum because we had a game that night. That was a Hampton Bethel game. That was a game that was going to be attended by more people that had ever come to see a high school basketball game in the state of Virginia. And they was like, they're going to come get me off the floor. So I go down there, me and Mo. I looked at the pictures of these guys. I'm 17. These guys are 25, 30 years old. Plus, people know who I am. I said, look, if I don't take these pictures, what's going to happen? And they said they was going to arrest me and charge me with it. So my lawyer, he said, if they're going to arrest you, just take the picture. So I took the picture. They waited like, I think, eight months or maybe longer just so they could try me as an adult. We were pretty optimistic that the truth was going to come out and put this thing behind us. But it was that first day in court that led me to believe that this thing was far from over, that these white folks was not going to allow this to be over. In the preliminary hearing, my lawyer asked the detective, did you tell him if he didn't take these pictures, you were going to arrest him? And it's the lead detective. And the detective said, um, no, he didn't say that. And right then, me and Mo knew something was going to happen. You know, this is the lead detective. And he lied right there on the stand. Aaron Iverson is charged with three counts of maiming stemming from a brawl at a bowling alley. One guy said Iverson threw a chair at him, breaking his glasses. Other people said that Iverson broke their arm. One person said he broke a thumb. And one Pocosin resident said she received a gash in her head. Seventy-some people in a bowling alley. How do you pick four individuals? Everyone should have been charged for their occurrence. We asked to press charges. It didn't happen. I'm the only one that everybody in there know. Had he not been basically a star at Bethel High, had he not been as well known as he is, then he may not have been identified by anyone. He may have been like the other 20 people who were involved that were not charged. They found out from uh, family members that there was a tape. And, and actually, I think they thought that would exonerate because they knew that Alan hadn't been, been directly involved in this. If you knew what Allen had on that night, you saw him leaving that tape. 
as everything was still going on and people were still fighting and things were still being thrown, Alan was on his way right out the door, right in front of the camera. But, of course, that never got brought up. Iverson's on trial for participating in a mob that maimed three people last February. It was portrayed to be like we was acting like a mob of some sort, like we were some t organized team to go in and just beat up white people in a bowling alley that night. By definition, there is no mob. A mob is an assembled group. Assemble before they get to the scene for a specific purpose. It was just a fight between individuals that um, happened to be blown up into something that it wasn't. At 17, to be trotted as an adult for a fight in a bowling alley, you'd have to think there was a plan. People wanted to make an example of Alan. I testified and tried to make them understand that he was a good kid and he didn't cause us trouble. And I, I didn't think anybody listened to me. I didn't think anybody cared. And I came out of there feeling like he doesn't value someone who's taught 25 years as, as an expert in this field. I strongly believe that there was a conspiracy to destroy the future of a young, gifted black person. This morning, the Bethel High School basketball guard was found guilty of maiming and being a member of a mob. The verdict was read and you could just hear a big, oh, just like no time left on the clock. You just missed the free throw to win the game. We just got, you know, the raw end of the stick. The question now is how much time could Iverson spend in jail? He now faces up to 20 years on each maiming charge. Up to 60 years on three counts of maiming by mob. I didn't think I was, you know, gonna go to jail or anything like that. I didn't even think I would get probation. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Me and Dwayne was at Alan's house and we was just talking and um, I was just like, yo, I feel we going to jail, Chuck. He's like, no, we're not going to jail. We don't deserve to go to jail, man. I'm tired of worrying about what's gonna happen and hearing different people tell me what can happen. They do this and that. Yeah. You should have this and that. All these people around here trying to tell me what they're doing shit. Those were kids, man. They had no idea. They don't, they didn't know um, racial prejudice. They didn't know these bigots. If he asked me, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, you know, first of all, I want to, um, I want to thank my family and friends for um, sticking behind me. People in the Swiss program. I want to thank, uh, you know, all, all the little kids. No, no, I, I'm going to say, no. Then again, I want to apologize to my family and friends. They did not know that these people were about to lynch their ass. These people were about to railroad you. If I would have did all the stuff like he, he said, you know, if I would have came with y'all, shit like that, you know what I'm saying, the real deal came with y'all, hit the girl in the head with the chair, hit him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, I understand why this shit happened. But you know damn well I ain't come with y'all niggas, man. You know, I, I really thought... That I was being railroaded. Man, this shit can ruin our whole everybody life. This could turn us to hardcore criminals. That judge can tear down. That judge can tear four black people down right now, just like that, if you want to. That white motherfucker has some power. Security was very tight here this morning at Hampton Circuit Court. Several deputies and police were on guard. We've seen all the police they had in the courtroom, and I knew right then what was about to happen. Only Iverson had anything to say before sentencing. I, I did feel bad for what happened to the people that night in the court now. So I don't want that to happen to nobody in any situation. The offense involving Robert Wilkes. 
court sentences you to serve a term of five years in prison. Judge Nelson Overton sentenced Iverson to 15 years behind bars, but suspended all but five. His co-defendant, Michael Simmons, received 17 and a half years, and he suspended all but five of that as well. 15 years, 10, 10 years suspended for an incident like that, you know, when, when people do a lot worse. The air just totally went out of the courtroom, and then just everybody began to look around. Some people was crying. Um, but it, it, it was just real weird and awkward. It just didn't seem like a real-life story right now. Didn't seem real at all. I never thought I'd see the day where adults would do something so drastically wrong to kids. It's pretty sad. It was a nightmare. You know, it was a, it was really a nightmare. And Iverson said she'd like to see her son finish high school. I don't want him to be in jail that long. I want him to get out and I want him to go to school. I think they can be rehabilitated in jail also. I mean, there are programs available. There's a GED program there. Iverson could finish his education. Um, they have recreational facilities. I don't think he'd be any worse off. I just couldn't believe that people were this mean. The judge decided that he would not grant a bond pending the appeal at this point because he wanted them, very frankly, to go ahead and to, to, to start accumulating credit for the time that they would go ahead and serve. In all the years that I've been doing this, the only defendants that are not given a bond are capital murderers. Uh, capital murderers, that's people that are going to go to the electric chair. That was true injustice. And that's why it hurt so much, because it was truly unjust. I think the guy got what he deserved, and uh, I, hope he, I hope he does every, every bit of time that he's given. He was unjustly tried and convicted and sentenced to time in a prison facility for grown men. I remember telling my grandma, like, Nana, if I didn't do what these people said I did, why is God letting this happen to me? And she told me, and I never did it since then, never questioned God. my family and the game that I love so much taken away from me. I think I just learned so much from it. You know, it, it taught me a lot at an early age. Mr. Iverson would be awakened at four o'clock. He would uh, shower and shave or whatever he needed to do to prepare for that day. This is a working camp. You are here to work. We cut all the grass, 27 miles, anything green and is not moving, we cut it. Oh, he used to kill me, man. You know, I might have to be up at 6. He would come waking me up at 4 in the morning. I would come in and he knew it would irritate me. He was singing a cop killer song. 
I put my life on the line for anybody here. And to belittle that killing of a police officer, it made me think just another punk from the streets. He made it extremely hard for me. People would pass notes to him saying that I wish you were dead. I hoped your black ass rot in prison. The jailers would bring him a doll with a noose and written on that doll was Allen Iverson. I had lawyers every single day that I was talking to them. They were telling me that you're getting out tomorrow. Then that tomorrow will come and they say you're getting out tomorrow. I remember just being frustrated and one of my friends came up and he said some of the best advice that someone could ever give me. You're not getting out of here. So stop thinking about it and do what you got to do, handle what you got to handle, and get back to what you love to do. It made it so much easier for me to do the time because I had in my mind that I wasn't going nowhere. Hampton residents have formed what they call the Swift Legal Defense Fund. There was a very vocal support for those kids. It didn't do any good, but there were marches. Mr. Iverson received a sack load of mail by himself. People were, uh, ladies were sending him their unmentionables, and they were sending him money. They were sending him gifts. Interviews were requested. I know Mr. Tom Brokaw was allowed to interview him. Tonight we have the story of what has happened to a young man who was headed for a million dollar future, but now he's in jail. It was one of those classic cases. Here is a kid with the gift of the gods as, a, as an athlete and a community where they'd still not worked out all the racial issues, obviously. I prepared myself for the worst. If I had to do this whole time here, I just had to deal with it. I thought the sentence was surprisingly harsh. And I think that our story had something to do with people looking at the case in a slightly different way because it got national attention. I got a lot of love for NBC. Tom broke off. I mean, he did a lot for me, and I, I appreciate him. I owe a lot to him for that. Alan Iverson is tasting freedom tonight for the first time in months. A high school standout has been handed conditional clemency by Governor Doug Wilder. Our governor pardoned Alan. You know, his rule was he couldn't play sports. Who cared? He could go to school. I think it was a relief for the officers because the uh, news media would be gone. The calls would be gone. All the mail that we received would be gone. And, and hopefully no more women's underwear. Hey, Alan, how do you feel? How do you feel, Alan? Hey, no Are you glad it's Governor Wilder gave me another shot at life. You know, if it wasn't for his signature, I might not be here. As for the other three young men, Governor Wilder is considering clemency for them as well. Ed? We was out, and there was hugs and dapping each other up, and <laughs> let's go to the mall. I need some new clothes. Everything ends well with a trip to the mall. Context of white supremacy. Um, it, it is fascinating. You heard about 15 minutes. The documentary is close to an hour and a half, but it is uh, it is right interesting. <laughs> um, and again, if you you know have younger folks that they're into sports or what have you, um, it might be a way to get some 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 of younger black people who you know don't care about racism, don't think about it. It might be a way to kind of plant some seeds, maybe. Um, <laughs> I. I'm about to go to greater confinement, maybe have gladiator games where I'm forced to fight and be sexually abused and the 
nuts to butts uh, in Illinois, all sorts of, of state-sanctioned sexual terrorism. And I'm told, don't question God. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'm so, man, oh, that is just that clip alone. That white mother has got some power. Not privilege. Power. Wow. Um, at any rate, uh, true to my word, the female caller, if you uh, are interested, I will certainly open everybody's lineup. So if you have comments on what you heard from Dr. Johnson, uh, the Iverson clip, anything else, feel free. The biker situation, I know they got a lot of uh, attention. Feel free. But uh, the female caller, if you wanted to share about your college experience and how you were targeted with racism, uh, feel free. Your line should be open. Hello? Yes, ma'am. Oh, hi. Thank you. Um, I'm a little nervous. Um, I basically, you know, as I said, um, when I was in uh, college, I uh, experienced um, the hostility that Dr. Johnson uh, spoke of, you know, mainly from white professors. And, um, of course, you know, my SAT scores, especially on the math portion, weren't very high. Um, and so, I don't know how the professors in question, you know, found out about that, but um, I remember one of my advisors, you know, at one point she mentioned, oh, well, you're not good at math, so you shouldn't take this course, and she was a white female, and then uh, I remember talking to another uh, white male professor, and he actually told me outright that another uh, white female professor had just raised hell uh, because in, in speaking to him and behind closed doors uh, because I had expressed an interest in taking a uh, particular math course and he told me that you know he that she told him outright no she's not she's horrible she's not good at math you know she you know all this stuff so, I mean, it, that was very, very discouraging. Um, and as, as a result, I stopped attending that, that particular school. Um, I re-enrolled at another university. But it, you know, just as Dr. Johnson mentioned, it, 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 what I experienced, you know, with that uh, particular incident as well as uh, other things that occurred, um, yeah, I, I find, I, I did find that, you know, college was very hostile towards black students. Um, and just as, you know, on the cows, I know we always, we always talk about white females and the, the danger, you know, that, that they, you know, that they are. Um, this was an all-women school. <laughs> so, yeah, I can totally relate to that. So I just wanted to share that experience. And, and it has, I won't, Maybe it has made an indelible mark, you know, on me, but it, it was very discouraging. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's important for a variety of reasons. I'm sure some of our listeners can relate, unfortunately, because that is uh, white terrorism. But especially, I mean, that sounds horrendous to me in that sort of environment with, I don't know how many, I don't know what the student body size was, but exclusively like, 90%, I'm sure, 90, 80% white women, like, oh my Lord, like that is, uh, yeah. e. <laughs> you have my sympathies. Um, that just sounds Thank horrendous <laughs> for sure. Um, 
Wow. If uh, if folks have commentary uh, on what you heard from Dr. Johnson, or uh, if you want to respond to uh, our female caller's uh, anecdote of collegiate terrorism, uh, or the, the Iverson segment, I guess, or the biker situation. So I guess those will be the four things, because I know, even though we didn't talk about that, but that certainly has been big news, and I think also relates to uh, the system. But if you have commentary, you want to Get in, everyone who dialed in with a hand up. Your line should be open. Uh, can it be heard? Yes, sir. Well, guess uh, I didn't feel one uh, one definition close to what the hell white is. Still ain't cracked that yet. Uh, uh, you know, keep on soldiering on, find out if we can find a white person that can give us a, a definition of how he could tell what a white person is. What is a white person? When did it happen? How did it start? We can get a better handle uh <clears throat> how these uh, laws were put in place. Uh, we know the color thing happened later, but it had to have a start. It had, it had to have some kind of understanding of how they put the put the framework together. I don't think white people are going to... I think white people will try to obstruct you in that effort to put all that together. They, uh, <laughs> they're definitely going to be about promoting confusion there um, everywhere, but certainly uh, they don't want clarity about what it means to be white. Um, the people... I did realize because we had people that I guess she called in after Dr. Johnson left. So I guess these would be people who have not, they didn't get to ask a question at all. So if it's anybody with us who you didn't get to ask a question, you haven't shared uh, any of those people, if you want to go ahead and go. May I be hurt? Yes, ma'am. Hi, this is Lady. Um, I wanted to make a comment about the documentary. Mm-hmm. And with the documentary, I thought that it was very um, peculiar that one woman stated that uh, she didn't think, and this is for lack of, you know, I'm I'm summarizing um, or paraphrasing, um, she didn't think that he would be any worse off in prison and that he could be habilitated, he could finish his GED. And I'm like, um, what, what does she assume happens in prison that rehabilitates people and makes them uh, makes them under no distress? I mean, are just niggers just better off in prison? It doesn't make any sense for the, you know any difference if they come from the ghetto or wherever they come from. It doesn't really matter where you place them. That makes no logical sense and. What she said definitely was practicing racism because if I were to take her or any of her family members and say you're sentenced to 15 years, there's no way that that woman would have repeated that statement of, uh, you know, they're no better off. It doesn't make any difference whether they're in prison or not. Uh, So that one really, that kind of made me upset. Mm. Just for context, uh, speaking of white women, uh, for context, that female, uh, it was a white woman, but she was the prosecuting attorney uh, in the case. So if that 
has any uh, additional information. Uh, she was with the prosecuting. Uh, she was with the prosecution uh, in that in that case. Um, yes, that makes me more concerned. <laughs> yeah, and I also thought it was hugely important uh, that they waited months. I think he said eight months to charge him as an adult, as opposed to going ahead and with all deliberate speed and moving along, they waited uh, so that they could be even more punitive uh, against this black male. That does not sound oblivious. That doesn't sound buried. That sounds like deliberate terrorism, but maybe I'm in error. Uh, is there anybody else with us who didn't get to share at all? Like you didn't get to ask Dr. Johnson a question. You didn't get to talk at all. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, I was curious about, like he, when you asked him, um, or when he was, when, when, when he said, uh, that, Racism, white supremacy, and white privilege was, uh, you know, the same thing, and was tied. Um, you know, he he kind of said three different things. He didn't. None of it really made sense. But I kind of felt like it was he was getting more and more refined as he was going along, having to you know uh, answer that question again. Um, so I was just wondering if you could. Uh, I think it might get confused you know, some people, uh, could you kind of go, could you kind of go into, uh, why his answer was completely, um, illogical and, um, you know, how that can confuse people, you know, as far as, um, the damage it can do having that, having that type of confusion and why he really, uh, kind of was, seemed to be kind of working, um, working, working, working to, uh, uh, um, confuses confuses in that particular uh, area. Um, <clears throat> my <clears throat> excuse me. My response would be, uh, I, I think he was deliberately trying to be confusing and practicing racism uh, and saying that he didn't understand the question, uh, saying he didn't make the statement about our white people collectively responsible to blame uh, for the health disparities and problems that black people are uh, facing um, the white privilege thing saying that, well, it's, it's, they're related and, and white privilege supports white supremacy and just hopping all over the place. Um, that is a deliberate aspect of racism. I think white people, they have invested heavily in the concept, the term of white privilege because, and we've talked about this before, that's on my list of uh, seven terms not to use at Atlanta uh, Black Star. Uh, it was just published weeks ago. <laughs> I almost was gonna read uh, portions of it, but just uh, in saying exactly the question that I asked him, why don't they say that Nazi Germany, that this is an example of white privilege? I've never heard that. Uh, this is something that I read about, discuss regularly, daily. Uh, I consistently see people draw parallels between what happens, what has happened and what is happening to black people in this area of <clears throat> in this area of the world, the U.S., and what happened during uh, Nazi Germany. We do it on this program all the time and many other people do uh, as well. Uh, so if these two things are being compared, why wouldn't you use similar terminology? Why is it this is just exclusive to black people? And I think it's deliberate. It's the same thing for folks who recall uh, Susan Patton, 
Remember, she was on the program and she just she had such a visceral response to the term terrorism. Like, oh, my goodness. And I can't believe you would say that they do not want their pathology, their deviant behavior accurately identified uh, that Chinese proverb. It is the beginning of wisdom to call things by their proper name. Uh, that term privilege, it just it makes it sound so passive, like white people. We're not pathological. We're not deviant. We're not terrorists. We're not targeting deliberately black people. We don't even know, you know, what's going on. I just woke up and, you know, hey, I had some playoff tickets and, you know, hey, oh, I get, you know, a, a huge discount on my car. Or it's easy for me to get a business license. I don't even have to pay a fee for that. And, you know, I just found $5,000. Like, it just makes it so passive, just focusing on the goodies. That's one of the reasons I talk about on this program all the time. White people like Dr. Johnson, they are very happy to talk about all the goodies that they get as a result of being in a system of white supremacy. They will say white privilege. They don't want to say these are things that I do to mistreat niggers. No white person wants to say that. They don't want to talk about the things that they do to go out and deliberately practice racism. It's got to be tied to some sort of way to just say, oh, well, it's privilege or I get these benefits. And I don't know. I'm just a, a dumb, ignorant, goofy white person. And as I said with Dr. Johnson, I think that that does huge damage. It's, it's just a huge win. It's a weapon, really, for racism, white supremacy for white folks, because it gives an incorrect assessment of this problem. If you think that it's just white people, they, they don't know what's going on and they just get these goodies and they don't question it. You have a different approach for how you solve this problem. If you think that this is Dr. Johnson, Tim Wise, Peggy McIntosh, Jane Elliott, any white person you can think of, Michael Skolnick, every single individual who is classified as white, getting to what does it mean to be white? They are all dedicated, devoted, and eternally committed to terrorizing Black people, which you just heard in that sound clip, it's great. You'll be rehabilitated going to jail in your teens. That's great. That's what you black people need. That's what whites are dedicated to. And you're just going to keep seeing that over and over and over forever. If that's what it is, then we have to really reassess how we're going to go about solving this problem. And that's why I think that is strategic. That's deliberate. What you heard from Dr. Johnson this evening to cause confusion, not wanting to give an accurate, clear picture of what it means to be white. And white privilege, in my opinion, is intricately, intimately connected with that. And uh, hopefully that was clear. Yeah, that's clear. Uh, I agree with you. It sounded like he was trying to have a little uh, a nervous breakdown when you said that he might, you know, you suspect him of practicing racism, white supremacy. He was just like, he couldn't, he couldn't talk for a minute. I, I suspect he was just thinking, like, keep it together, keep it together. But then when you asked him, is it logical for, you know, non-white people to suspect white people, he said yes immediately. But my whole thing to bringing that up is because he was trying to make you feel some type of way about, you, you know, you saying you suspect him of, of practicing racism. But then when you asked him, uh, you know, is, 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 would that be logical? He said yes immediately, and he did that like maybe four or five times throughout the the conversation. You know, it was just uh, he was. You know, it's just uh, man. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's deadly. I don't know. 
It's deliberate. It's deliberate. Um, I think, I mean, that that's why the buckets of words thing is there. And, you know, I encourage folks to really, really pay attention. Also, just in terms of how he, <laughs> how things evolved over the, the program later on when it came up again, white and, and I want to be clear, I didn't, it wasn't even a challenge. I think even one of the callers suggested that based on, you know, him being so deceptive with words, it was never white privilege versus white supremacy. I just said, is that the most accurate term? Because there are a host of terms. I don't even need to, you know, insult you <laughs> by listing them all. But I mean, it's a lot of terms people use to talk about this. Everybody doesn't sign off on white supremacy or white privilege. There are many, 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 many other terms. We could even make up some new ones right now. Uh, he posited that, oh, well, you're saying it's white privilege or white supremacy. That's not what I said. Moving forward, um, I, I also thought kind of uh, maybe an hour or so, maybe about the hour, 10 minute mark. Uh, he said that the point of what's happening is white supremacy. That's the point of all this. And I kept, I was muted because it was a caller, but I kept saying, well, why don't we just use the term that describes what's at the point of all this? What is at the center, the focus of all of this? And then I think he went on to say that white privilege uh, supports white supremacy. But I mean, if the point, if the focus of all of that, then why not just call it what is at the center? That's generally what you do to try to make sure you have a, a firm understanding of what the foundation, the base, the essence of what's happening uh, is. But again, I assert he was not trying to promote that type of clarity for black people. And he said that he said when he spoke in New Hampshire, where he didn't want to disclose the finances, he had a, a predominantly black audience. Thanks for the caller for that question. Uh, if he's predominantly talking to black people like us this evening and some of his other outings, great job. I can make a lot of money. I can sell books. Black people will think I'm great. White Jesus. And I get to totally confuse and scramble their brains about racism. This is win, 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 win for the white team. Hooray. Anybody else that we missed didn't get to talk at all? We got everybody. Nobody else on the line who didn't get to ask a question of Dr. Johnson, didn't get to speak at all. Grand. Other folks, anybody else on the line, if you got to ask a question or not, anybody else on the line, if you had feedback on what you heard or the documentary, feel free. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, I just want to give a little bit of a feedback uh, that I find interesting is that um, um, when it comes time to solving the problem, and you put him about the, about the money, all of a sudden they do it every time. Jane Elliott pulled the same thing. Um, the other observ uh, observation I noticed, too, is they will start to admit and embrace you, Gus, and say, oh, yes, yes, Gus is holding me accountable. Yes, yes, yes. I almost feel like that's a jiu-jitsu move. When someone swings at you, you just step aside and guide them in the direction that you want. Uh, and to play like I really, really want to solve this thing by admitting how wrong I am. But then... When it comes time to saying, how much are you getting paid in these all-black audience? I think about Tim Wise, Gene Elliott, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, they clam up. So that's really saying it's very disingenuous to say, um, you know, I, yeah, but I don't talk about finances. Or the woman saying, oh, I'm not going to talk about my sex life. When it was really on par, it was on point with what we're talking about. We're, 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 we're addressing white supremacy racism. I look at it as like the RICO Act. Racketeering influence, um, uh, uh, corrupt organization. Just because you work in the office or just because you drive the bread truck, it's all part of the same thing. If you look at one of those Nazi death, death camps, 
in order for that camp to run efficiently, somebody has to bring in the bread and the food, and somebody works in the kitchen. Somebody has to do all these other things, but the end result is the same thing. People are dying and people are being murdered. But then you could say, oh, gee, I didn't really have nothing to do with it. I was, a, I was an administrative person. I worked in the office. And that was the point I was trying to make about the bank robbery. Just because you drove the getaway car, you are still part of that, and you are part of the murder of those people that you did to take that money. But that was my point I was trying to make. And I really think that that's a clever uh, way to do it is by splitting hairs or semantics to say, oh, um, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is a housing discrimination. Oh, no, 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 no. It was uh, job discrimination because somebody from the University of Michigan wanted to get into medical school and affirmative action and they want to do reverse discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. Then Fox News grabs it and, of course, takes the ball and run with it. But that was the point. That was the observation I wanted to make. Thank you. And I'll mute myself. Thanks. Mm-hmm. 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 Can I be heard? Greetings, Thomas in New York. Yes, I'm sorry. I think um, I, I hit the Bluetooth button and it went through the speaker and I got confused, so I'm sorry. I had one more question for him. I was going to ask him, um, can he name a system that existed in his 70 years of living that can exist without people maintaining and participating in it because, you know, he was very um, deceptive. Um, and, um, you know, for him to say privilege lasted 300 years when 300 years ago black people were slaves like I mean what privilege <laughs> like I mean that, there's no privilege no one's oblivious to it just go outside and look out the window I mean that just um, killed me man uh, that guy was a you know waste of time for me you know I mean I don't mean to say waste of time but you know like he was trying to he was trying to be deceptive um um I had um, something to say, um, the Iverson documentary, man, that was excellent. I watched it. I didn't expect for it to be good. Man, I had to sit down. I had to go pop some popcorn and everything for that one, man. That was just like, whoa. And, um, man, there's a white neighbor who, yeah, he used to come over and I'd fry him some fish and some chicken. And, you know, and uh, you know, him and my friend were so close that the kids around the neighborhood started calling him nigger, too. <laughs> it was like... Oh, my God. Everything about that documentary was just excellent. <laughs> I just loved it. Um, man, I was, um, I wrote you earlier, man, these bikers, man. Um, man, I had never seen nothing like that in my life. I said, this is, this, they would, they would just, you know, no, no riot gear, no, no canisters, nine people dead. Um, these guys are wearing their uniform, like they have their, this, this, man, it's such a double standard in this country, I swear, man. Bloods and Crips couldn't get on motorcycles and ride around with red and blue jackets and terrorize neighborhoods and be moving methamphetamine and inhuman trafficking and all the stuff that they're on gangland doing. And, you know, all these white gangs, I know this too, when they go to jail, they all end up Aryan Nation. Um, and I bet they're not going to get the charges that um obviously they know his faces. <laughs> you know, fifteen years for for what they did. I guarantee these white bikers ain't gonna do no time. It's just uh such a double standard. Um and once again, um thanks for the show, Gus, and um, you know, um thanks for the guests. Have a nice evening. Hello? Yes, sir, you're a little level, but we can hear you. Hello? Uh, um um, yeah, 
Jeff, I think you hit it um, you know, right on the head about um, Dr. Johnson um, talking about, you know, white privilege and white supremacy, you know, being, well, being the same and then white supremacy being the point. You know, I was trying to get to the bottom of that when I was asking him, you know, uh, my question. Because, um, you know, if, if he thinks, you know, white privilege or white supremacy is the, the point, you know, why don't, you know, I would have, I wish I could have asked him, you know, do you think you're just wasting time just talking about white privilege if white supremacy, you know, is the whole point of the matter? So, that's all I had to say. Getting a little background hey. Just getting a little background noise if folks could watch that. The caller that was going to speak up, feel free. Uh, was it somebody? I thought I heard somebody. They were they were going to comment. Go ahead. May I be heard? Hello. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought he was extremely, extremely refined, you know, and and re- really, you know, I thought it was interesting how he held on to that white privilege almost up until the very end. And I think he, you know, conceded a little bit to try to, as other callers said, try to get, yeah, okay, well, I'll be on his good side for now. <laughs> but I about, uh I think that he he was like an excellent guest to show, you know how the the links they'll go through. Okay, you're you're saying that they'll deny, even though they know it's real, but they will never admit it. Well, we see that every day too. And um, one other thing I wanted to say too about the the whole thing with the biker gang, it made me think of. I, I don't know if you read it, but I sent you something, like I found two articles last week about these black Masonic fraternal police. That they, they said they go all the way back to Nice Templar, and they've been patrolling 33 states. And one, one it was just like announcing they were there, and then two days later, they're all in jail <laughs> and because they're impersonating a police officer. And they didn't play, you know, because they all had guns. And I thought about that when those... Uh, you know, how they were playing with these guys. Yeah, I mean, they killed nine people. And, you know, some of those pictures of them with the police intermingled in them. You couldn't even tell which one was which. You know, I, I thought that was uh, uh, very interesting that, uh, you know, these, and, you know, I'm in Southern California, and they're running around all over, all over the place here. And, you know, as other callers said, you know, even though they knew that this was going to happen, they didn't prepare with uh, tanks and AK-47s and uh, tear gas. So, you know, it, you know, white supremacy is real, and, you know, they're just constantly, I, I don't know, it seems like it's escalating to me. And, and that's all I had to say. The mail caller that was going to comment. Hello. Yes, Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, I've, I've observed a lot of the same things with white people that, you know, I think a key backbone in the system is that when it comes time to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the different things that are being done, that, that white people do uh, to keep the system going or to cause problems that, uh, that they're causing, 
just to try to use language that doesn't really reveal that clearly. You know, they, they do that. And I think a lot of times, you know, white people are pretty skilled at uh, assessing leverage uh, during a conversation, you know, to see if they, you know, need to reveal truth or not or need to try to be a little more honest or not. You know, they kind of use that as a tool as they're actually engaging in the conversation. And so I think uh, the guest today was kind of doing that math uh, throughout the conversation. And, then, you know, that's why it kind of seemed like he was hesitant and then revealing it and then going back on it or whatever. You know, he might have was, um, you know, coming to different conclusions, uh, if somebody would hear this later or if he cared, if anybody would hear it later or whatever. But <clears throat> I just noticed that white people, they, they, they tend to um, selectively uh, be honest or half honest depending on, uh, you know, what they're trying to accomplish at the time. Timothy Wise is a great example of that. I think uh, Mr. Fuller, I think he has a conversation where he said it's like uh, with racists, because you can't dominate a system without having lots and lots of accurate information. Sometimes they will give you accurate information. Like you can, you can even have a white person where 99 times out of a hundred, they give you accurate information, but then that hundred time they will give you inaccurate information and that might ruin everything. But yeah, they're very good at, uh, sometimes we'll give you the real and sometimes we won't. And sometimes you just have to guess <laughs> which it is. I think, you know, in that clip of Alan Iverson, um, you can see some of that because, you know, he was talking and we, we, we already know that he was completely out of, <laughs> out of, <clears throat> out of touch with reality, you know. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he's thinking, yeah, oh man, I'm not going to jail for, for this. That don't, you know, he's just, you know, he, he, he not knowing. Um, that, that was just, that was interesting part to me. So that's why I, I think you were saying that's why it's so dangerous, man, because, you know, you're running around here thinking, oh, no, you know, they're not really worried about, or I don't know exactly how to, how to say, I just want people really to get the fact that this is like, you know, that's what Gus was saying. Like he hears this from, you know, from white people all the time. Like it's a pattern like him pre him praising white people. So he's saying, Yeah, these people that terrorize you and and whatnot, they're wholesome and and, and you know, angelic or whatever um you know, whatever labels he puts on them. Like that doesn't even you know, that doesn't make sense. Like why would you even do that? You're talking so I just hope people like understand, like that's all white people. Like if you if you look at them and you think that like if they call the police on you like, you know, they, you know their word against yours, and they look white. Like, I mean, that person is uh, very dangerous potentially, you know, to your life. So I just hope people get that. And really, I was glad that you know he had them on, and people got a chance to talk to him because, you know, it seemed like he pulled out some some pretty good tricks, and you 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 caught him, you know, most of the, you know most of the time pretty well. So I think people could study. Uh, you know the recording and 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 get some uh get some pretty standard uh tricks they they like to play and you have a way to counter them hmm. that sentence i hope that stood out uh for people that you referenced because that's the sort of thing i mean what if it's a white person period i've already come to my conclusion you know what they're about but i mean a sentence like this 
this is the type of thing where I'm like, okay, this is all I need to know about this white person. That the painful fact is that the white identifier says, oh, excuse me, the wrong paragraph. Every day, millions of decent, moral, well-intentioned white people participate in a system that is designed to advantage them at the expense of people of color. Like just that sentence tells me everything I need to know uh, about this white person. Matter of fact, I can stop. We don't even have to get to the rest of it. Just the decent, moral, well-intentioned white people. I mean, wow, that's (laughs) break the thesaurus to praise white folks. Yeah, that would have that would have had to be substantiated with some proof. You know, like you know, what do these people do to uh, to be good, and well-meaning, and all that? You know, if they not, yeah, yeah, what do they do? They they oh. participate in a in a terroristic system. <laughs> yeah, according to yeah. the next line. <laughs> yeah, was there somebody else who was trying to comment it as well? I heard. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I had, a, I had, a, I just got a question. Do is it if I'm talking to white people, and the word privilege comes up, would it be constructive or not to maybe redefine the word white privilege and lump it? And you know, I, I'm not really sure what's the best approach to that. I know if, if I stick to white supremacy and I and they kind of push back on that, um, could I say do you use the word white privilege? This is my definition of white privilege. Does that is there any room for that, or just any words in general about whites and how they try to put the persona out that they are um, good people? Where we're using words like "good" and trying to maybe maybe redefine some of those words. What's I think uh, I, I was going to say this real quick. Anybody else say I was going to say like I'm telling you. I mean, a big key, or at least from my analysis of this, a critical part of this system and the way it's maintained is to when conversations come up, particularly on the topic of race or racism, that words that are being used to talk about, you know, black people being terrorized regularly. Like that's that's what's been happening. It's an everyday thing all the time. So when that subject comes up to talk about it, to try to, you know, privilege, white privilege, that they don't really get at that. And so anytime I mean, you depends on probably who you're talking to, but if you could, as much as you could, try to have well, you know, especially if you're gonna be saying any words, if you if you're a non white person and you speak speaking the words in the conversation about racism Try to have those words be as matching up to reality to really describing what's actually taking place uh, as, as much as possible. Now, if you got some white people that's you know trying to show that they're not really trying to do that, then um, you know you have to try to decide during the conversation. I guess how you're going to try to steer it to reveal truth, or just, you know, it really depends on who's listening. You know, if it's some if it's nothing but white people around and you having a conversation with white people about white supremacy or whatever, you know. <laughs> You almost got to really look and see what you're doing. But if it's another, if it's some non-white people there that might benefit from that conversation because they're, you know, they're sitting there listening to it or whatever, then, you know, trying to get the words to be true or try to reveal the truth as much as possible is, uh, is best. What's the context for these conversations? Like, who are you, where are these conversations happening? Who are you talking to? Oh, I mean, you know, at work or, or, uh, or just in general, if I come in contact with a white person and we're talking about race or so race comes up and someone mentions the word white privilege, instead of me kind of kind of pushing them and saying, well, that's not that, that's not an accurate definition, I was just, you know, kind of thinking out, just thinking kind of out the box. Is it what I say? Well, my definition of white privilege is terrorism. So you can use whatever word you want to use. Supremacy, if you don't like that word, you can use privilege. But 
when I heard the word privilege, I'm hearing terrorism. Does that make any sense or is that just more confusion? It, to me, it makes sense. I was just going to say uh, you started this by saying work. Uh, I've said pretty consistently, I do not encourage uh, going on the job talking about racism to white people or non-white people. Um, I'm not sure that I can think of a scenario where I would encourage if a white person on the job, even if it's like the white janitor on the job says, well, you know, I think white privilege might be a problem. And, you know, this is something that we need to deal with because white privilege really, you know, it impacts black people. I don't know that I would even encourage if you were on the job saying, well, hey, it's not white privilege, it's white supremacy or white terrorism or, you know, whatever. whatever. If it was on the job, I might just note that it happened or, or whatever. I just I would be a lot more uh, cautious. Maybe I would have two different codes for how I respond on the job to that and then how I respond if I'm just out on my free time and I happen to come into contact with a white person. If I was out on my free time, then you could experiment. You could even make that a counter-racist experiment. If a white person okay. brings up the term white privilege, you can have three, four, five different responses that you write out to say, well, I'll redefine it. When you say white privilege, I define white privilege as white terrorism or white people's privilege to terrorize and abuse black people or whatever. Um, that could be one. And you try that out and see how that works. Or then maybe you have another one where you maybe ask them a question. What do you mean when you say white privilege and try and see, is that the most accurate way to describe what we're talking about? You could try some experiments to see what works best on your free time. But I would, uh, I, like, I would have two different codes. That's just me for how you respond to that on the job and then how you respond to that on your free time. Okay. Especially if you need that job, you know, if it's a job that you that you need, then you know that you're almost in a more vulnerable situation on that job, and so that might not be the best time to be trying to go on the offense in regards to white supremacy, uh, because you know you're, you're in a you're in a weaker position at that point in time. So going on the offense, then you know white people know how to they know how to bring a whole lot of problems real fast, and so that might not be the the, the point in time to try to make that move, you know. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I learned from listening to the cows over the years, um, I can't remember who it was, um, but it might have even been Gus, um, but they equated white power to white privilege. You know, just switch out the words. It means the same thing. You know, I think Gus said, you know, white privilege will be, oh, you can go and get band-aids, the same color as your skin from the store. But it's that white power, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's the same thing, in my opinion. So I always tell them, you know, um, I agree with not at work, but I always tell white people, you know, that, you know, like I said to the guy, you know, when you say white privilege, I take it as white power. And um, I'll, and if they give me pushback, well, tell me an uh, example where we can swap out the words and it doesn't work. It works every time. Appreciate it. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left if folks have anything else they want to get in. Uh, biker incident, documentary, what they heard from uh, Dr. Uh, Johnson or anything else. I know even the BBC had a pretty interesting piece yesterday about the biker incident and uh, saying that uh, what would have happened if this had been black people <laughs> had done this and how they would have uh, covered it and how many tanks and what have you would have uh, been diverted to Texas to squash all this. Um, that definitely is something to, to pay attention to. May I be heard? 
Yes, ma'am. Um, this is Lady again. I wanted to make one more comment about the documentary. Um, I thought it was interesting with the comment uh, from the grandmother of not questioning God, and then um, upon him being released by the mayor, him being grateful and thankful, but I, which I understand he's happy to be released, but it was interesting that this mayor put a stipulation on how he could make money, which was not illegal, um, saying that he could not play basketball. To me, that stated that you cannot advance in life to a certain degree. So I'm releasing you, but you're still in prison because I know that you can make a certain amount of money and have a certain amount of status. No, you cannot have that now. So it, that was very interesting that that wasn't contested or, or that wasn't, you know, I don't know, I have to watch the documentary, but from what I heard, to me that wasn't contested, and I just don't understand why. If I'm free to live my life, I'm, you know, forgiven or whatever, why can't I use my potential and make the best of myself or the best income that I could possibly make through my talent. That right there shows me that this whole thing underlines something very vindictive, and it states to me that white people don't want African-American males or non-white persons to achieve a social status and they or financial, and they will come in the way of that if they feel they can. That's all I wanted to say. I'll mute myself. Uh, just a, a quick uh, correction. It wasn't the mayor that released him. It was the governor, uh, Doug Wilder, who happened to be the first black governor uh, of the state of Virginia. And uh, I would love, love, love to get like his private unredacted papers for how white people responded to him giving a pardon to uh, Alan Iverson, this black thug. Uh, I would love to get some of the mail that he got or responses from whites having this black governor do that. But yeah, it wasn't the mayor, it was the governor. And he wasn't a professional athlete at that time. He hadn't completed high school, so he wasn't making money playing basketball at that time. Uh, he was trying to finish high school, so that wasn't he didn't start making money uh, from playing basketball until uh, the fall of 96. So this was like three, three years before that. So it wasn't, it didn't impact him financially at that point. But I, I this just was interesting. Why would be prohibited or stated that he could not play basketball? So I'm going to go back and watch, watch the documentary because I just don't understand why that stipulation was placed on him. Like, what benefit would that serve for him not to play basketball? So I'm going to go back and um, watch the movie and reflect on that because I see some of the error. I thought that the, it was the – I misspoke when I said governor, but I thought uh, – when I said mayor versus governor. But um, I thought that it was a white person who had, you know, said he could not play basketball. So I'm going to go watch the um, documentary so I can better assess 
what happened with this case, Mr. Allen. But thank you for letting me comment. Mm-hmm. For sure. I definitely think it was uh, a vindictive racist uh, and who did this. In fact, if folks are interested, it's a lot uh, to this case. Like Sports Illustrated did a big write-up and some other people, as I said, it's another, it's a whole other documentary just on the court aspect. Like this documentary is kind of a whole life portrait of uh, Allen Iverson, but there's a different documentary that just focuses on the court case, court case uh, aspect. And uh, a white person does the film and by the time he gets to the end, uh, he says that I can only conclude that this had to be in some way the result of racism because I just cannot fathom a white high school athlete who has clearly all this potential is going to be a great, you know, professional athlete being jailed and given this particular type of sentence for this type of crime. He said he just couldn't fathom how that would happen to a white star athlete in Virginia. So you should check that one out if you're interested in. And, and, and I think they even do get into some of the politics of how he got this pardon and Doug Wilder and some of that other stuff as well. But I think it's called No Crossover. It was uh, it's an ESPN 30 for 30 uh, documentary. I think it came out like maybe five years ago or so. But it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And he got into it with some um, white people at the bowling alley. And we, man, we don't know who those white people are. They could have been you know, sons of officers or whatever. I mean, he said that the, the, the chief prosecutor, first thing he first thing he did was lie, or, or, you know, lie on, on, you know, on the stand or, you know, after he, you know, sworn to tell the truth or whatever. So it goes deep. Like, we got to understand what those white people could have been, you know, work, you know, could have been sick on him. It could have been a message. Oh, you, oh, you know that boy Iverson? Uh-huh, you be seeing him around town, you know? Uh, yeah, if you see him, you know, uh, you know, do, you know, start something, you know what I'm saying? We'll take care of the rest, don't worry, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff happens all the time, and we don't be thinking like that when we see just white people out and about the conversations that be going on in the background. You know ain't nothing gonna happen to you, and I don't, you know, you know, just don't get knocked out or nothing, but, you know, get them, get them riled up. And that's how that's how that's how they be getting down. <laughs> I'm sorry to be laughing, but it's just they be getting down just like that, and we still be getting falling for it. We gonna be thinking this is like this might be undercover. Like when I see white people, young, you know, whoever, I, I'm be thinking like that could be a, 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 a CIA cop. I, I mean, like for real. Like I be that that's my first, you know, that's one of my first thoughts. They could be working with the authorities. Don't trust them at all. I don't care what they say. Don't even talk to them because they, they might ask you for um, directions and you point one direction. Police come, they say they ask you where the, where the crack house was or whatever. Like, it, I'm telling you, we, I'd be glad when we understand this, 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 you know, this thing as far as who, you know, what, what does it mean to be white? Like, we got to get that quick. Yeah, I think I think a big key part of what it means to be white too is that you know they already have to. It means it means knowing that that you need to already have an understanding uh, of what you're going to do uh, with your victims. You know, it's not always making that stuff up on the spot. As soon as you see your victims, you got to already have, like you said, you got to figure it out ahead of time. So they they have conversations about that, and even if they don't, you know, with each other, or whatever, they might talk about it with their parents or somebody. But white people constantly, I mean, they, they have conversations about what to do with their niggas, you know what I'm saying, what to do with their with their victim population and what to be at the job or the neighbors or the store, you know. 
you got to talk about what to do. And so they, they, I'm sure they have conversations about that. Um, and every now and then I even hear them. You know, I'll be in some places where I can have the music up a little loud where they don't know if I can even hear them talking. They openly talk, you know. They talk about what to do, you know, how to get the personality of the office a certain way, you know, who they need to uh, let go of or bring in to adjust the dynamics of the personality in the building, you know. <laughs> Uh, so it, it's definitely something they need to um, that they have to have uh, discussions about um, for what to do. You know, and I think if we understood that too, we won't. You know, we can have an understanding about things ahead of time too, to where um, you know, not 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 so much got to get done real time. You know. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. I just had a couple of real quick things yesterday. The president actually joined Twitter with at P-O-T-U-S, at President of the United States um, handle, and he broke some white guy's record about you know, um, uh, achieving a million um, followers. And then he got all these tweets from our racist friends. One of them had him in uh, on news and all kinds of N-words and all that good stuff. And then, you know, today, um, many places are celebrating uh, Malcolm X Day. And then, so there was a lot of tributes on Twitter, all kinds of stuff. And then this one white girl tweeted that, well, um, since everyone is really complimenting Brother Malcolm, well, why aren't they dealing with his misogyny? And I'm thinking, what misogyny? What are you talking about? And then um, I said, well, sounds like you're the one that's concerned about it. So why don't you go for it? Well, I don't feel it's my place. Okay, fine. Then the next thing she tweets out, she said, this is an um, article I got from this black side, it was from The Root, uh, about him and his misogyny. I said, look, today is Malcolm X Day, and you can keep that to yourself. If you don't feel like, uh, we, we, we don't want to hear it today. If you want to deal with it, whatever it is, I didn't even click on the link. I, I assume it's that time he told the white girl, you know, he didn't, you know, the movement didn't need them. I don't know. But, um, you know, so they're definitely beside themselves. It's constantly agitating, you know, in person, on, you know, definitely on social media. So that's all I wanted to add about uh, my day on Twitter. Thank you. Went in on the Obama Library too. They had uh, they had pictures of an outhouse, and that was supposed to be the Obama Library. They had some. Uh, they had some other ones like it should be uh, it should be built in Ferguson and they had a lot of little creative. Again, they're not thinking about this. They don't know anything. But, yeah, they had a lot of similar response last week, too. Uh, last couple minutes. Anybody else got anything they want to get in before we conclude? Yeah, I wanted to say uh, white people are encouraged to be creative. You know, one of the callers was talking about how they. You know, they 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 profile uh, they person you know uh, personality uh, profile you and profile each other and stuff like that. They're encouraged to be creative. Whatever your talents are as a white person, yes, use use those. We're gonna encourage you to use those and to, to you know to uh, to victimize and, and 
and work for the white team. And um, I, I feel like we have to uh, do, do, do the same thing, encourage ourselves to be creative and, you know, recognizing our talents and using them to, uh, you know, to uh, effectively counter racism. So I don't think we're going to get it from anybody, like a lot of people from the outside. You know, if you can encourage somebody, that's cool. Uh, but, you know, somehow you know, encourage yourself or encourage others, man, because um, that's something that racists do, um, you know, like no doubt, no doubt. Somebody was asking about the white mother and stuff like that. It's like, man, you know, they get encouraged to be the way that they are. And and to be creative is what I'm trying to make sure I get out, like super creative and thoughtful about it. That's why. <laughs> so we have to we have to definitely use our creativity and stuff like that and encourage people. So. Mainly encourage yourself somehow. Get it. Get motivated yourself. Motivate yourself. Recognize your talents. And stuff like that, so, so you can, so we can get work done, because there's a lot of work that people can be doing, and they they're not doing it, and they have the talents, but it's just they're all depressed and whatnot. Yeah, I would, I would add to just um, you know, kind of really um, scrutinize uh, the type of conversations you have, uh, you know, and with who, you know, stuff can end up being a big time waster, you know, um, so you know. Talking with people, you know, white people, whatever, about racism, you know, it really limit. I mean, it depends, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. You know, what I mean, if it's not necessarily uh, to gain, you know, a sharper something for yourself or to uh, enhance some other non-white people that's around you, you know, and make that conversation kind of short. If it's not, you know, yielding something sort of some sort of constructive value for you, um, but um, same with non-white people, you know, because uh, like. Nine and I just said, you know, there's a lot that there's a lot, lot that a lot of talents that people have as individuals, and if you you know kind of bring those to the surface and do you know work whatever you're working on, um, that actually goes a whole lot. Man, in my opinion, that goes pretty far, you know, pretty far, um, almost further, probably more further than trying to uh, you know get another non-white person to do something. You know what I mean? And of course, white people they ain't going to do nothing. In my opinion, you know, you get them to try to use them to you know figure out how to help uh, strengthen yourself to be able to, uh, you know, solve this problem. But, you know, they pretty much demonstrated a dedication to the current course. So, um, you know, just use your time wisely in your, in your conversations because that's what, that's what we have is, you know, saying and doing it. So, you know, I just want to try to make those as efficient as possible. We have done our three. I uh, hope it was a quality investment of your Tuesday evening. Um, I think uh, Gus is supposed to be a guest on Mr. Reed's program later this week, Thursday, uh, to discuss uh, forgiving white... Oh, no, it was the Uncle Tom's. That was what it was. The Uncle Tom uh, report on... Uh, Atlanta Black Star, Hunting Uncle Tom's Won't End Racism. Uh, I think that's supposed to be this Thursday. I'm just making sure I'm correct. Uh, the afternoon time, 4 o'clock in the evening. Uh, that'll be on uh, his broadcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. I'll uh, Facebook it and all if you want to 
tune in. I know that's always uh, lots of fun getting in on uh, sambos and traders and sellouts and, you know, what should be done about them. Uh, but I think that should be Thursday. Um, and again, uh, I think Shani, she was listening. Hello, Shani. Uh, we're supposed to be doing uh, our once a month, like early program. Uh, and I think it's just like an hour or an hour and a half. Um, because we do have a significant number of listeners, uh, for, that are outside the States who listen to the program, black people. And, uh, that way they have a chance to participate. And even people that are in the States, uh, who just for whatever reason, their work schedule or how their day operates, uh, they're not able to participate at this normal time. So we'll be on, uh, I think it's Friday at 12 noon Eastern, 9 AM Pacific, uh, so if folks want to tune in, normally we end up talking about racism, white supremacy. Uh, I was the idea for this just so that people uh, who don't normally participate, they can have a chance to participate. And then also another opportunity to get at workplace racism. Um, it's in the middle of the day. So if something has happened on the job, you can dial in. If this is if you're on your lunch break at this time, you can feel free to chime in and participate. Uh, or if there are other events that have taken place, uh, but we'll be on uh, this Friday nine a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, and it'll probably be one of these per month where we'll be on early. We'll make sure to announce it ahead of time. Uh, if you're able to time, uh, chime in, that would be great. Uh, see what folks are up to in the middle of the day. Uh, and again, for folks who are outside the States, you should be able to chime in. I think uh, that would be, my math is accurate, like 5, 5 p.m. for folks that are in the U.K., that's very reasonable. <laughs> you can tune in. So hopefully we'll be able to hear from uh, some different voices, uh, folks who listen to the program this coming Friday. Anywho, if you have other questions, you get confused, drop an email until justice at gmail.com. Um, folks who were inquiring about the Turner diary study session that we did way back when that is all in the current feed for the program. So you should be able to access it. I think it's too far back uh, it won't be in iTunes, but uh, the other feeds for the program, it's there, the whole session. Uh, and I put in some of the other older archives as well are in the, the current feed. iTunes should be uh, up to date. Stitcher should be up to date. Uh, tune in as well. You can listen there. Lots of different uh, means for folks to check out the program. If you get confused, you can't find something. It's a particular program that you're looking for. Let me know and uh, I will do my best to get it to you. Uh, I would maybe in closing say that a good program, uh, if you want to follow up on all this, Zach Casey, he was at the 2010 White Privilege Conference. Uh, I was in attendance, non-Mighty Wick. Um, he, he didn't give a presentation. He was just there. He was a participant. But I thought he had a lot of great information that this guy is an admitted racist. So, But he did have accurate information. I think that got brought up. Sometimes they do have correct info. And the main points that he made, number one, uh, he was saying he was just pointing out the falsehood and the notion, the deception and the use of the term white privilege. Uh, he detailed that and he also detailed uh, what he called the impossibility of positive white identity. And that just basically means if you're white, you're racist. You can't be white and not racist. That's basically what it means. And he, he goes into detail about how that's true and how he sees that manifest even when he's hearing people like our guest, Dr. Alan Johnson, talking or even himself, uh, that it's just not possible. If you are a white person, you are a part of the racist gang. You are already indicted. And that's just that. Uh, and he talks about why 
uh, victims have a hard time accepting that that's what it is, that that's what it means to be white, that you are a racist white terrorist. Uh, but you can check that one out. Zach Casey, it's April 2010. Uh, I'll tweet it and put it on my Facebook page so folks can catch it. But I think that would be a nice follow up to what you heard this evening uh, to get a little clarity. Uh, with that, thanks for everyone tuning in. Thanks to all the callers. Grand hearing from everyone. And uh, I reckon we'll be on Mr. Reed's program Thursday afternoon. I'll post that as well. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. Stay codified. Stay constructive. I would again encourage sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Definitely would not encourage being behind the wheel. Uh, if you're intoxicated under the influence, that's just it's making the job easy. Uh, for race soldiers, uh, for whites in general, even if you're going to be a pedestrian, that uh, can be a risky behavior. A lot of uh, a lot of black people in Ferguson, that was the justification, the means for going and brutalizing them. A pedestrian, I'm talking about saying, hey, oh, I think that nigger is under the influence. Looked like he staggered a little bit and we got to go and beat him down or whatever else. Um, so I would encourage sobriety. Number one, if you can't do that, at least stay in your residence or if you're going to coordinate things. Be at one spot, stay there, and then when you exit, that way you can be lucid, sober, and make the best possible choices uh, given the violent and dangerous planet that we are on, dominated by white terrorism. Again, sobriety would be best under conditions of war. That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. My apologies. I forgot one of our listeners had questions. I didn't see their hand. My bad. We will do better in the future. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Hey, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Hey. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.